Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. What kind of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me sure. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to a Eleven, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Rigor. Role-playing games have been hugely popular since the 1970s, and while much of what we discuss on this show are things that may be starting to fall out of our collective consciousness or the pop culture, role-playing games, or RPGs as they are known, have been getting more popular than ever, especially since the shelter-in-place we had to do in 2020 due to the coronavirus. One of the most popular, if not the most popular RPGs, is Dungeons & Dragons, and even if you're not into RPGs, you've at least heard of D&D. On today's show, we've got not one, but three guests, two of which run their own podcast about Dungeons & Dragons, and we're doing a crossover here to make you aware not only of their show, but also about something cool that you may be missing out on, role-playing games. So sit back and enjoy a topic that you will find endlessly fascinating. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. 
Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh. ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. Okay, folks, as I said in my first introduction, we've got three guests on the show today to discuss role-playing games, or RPGs, specifically Dungeons & Dragons. Joining me once again is my frequent co-host and collaborator, Spency Domepiece. Hello. How are you doing today, Spency? I'm good. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. I'm excited. Nice, me too. Also joining us are two fine gentlemen who hail from the UK, Daniel Crother and Matt Powell, who have their own podcast in which they actually play Dungeons and Dragons on the show called Lions of Legend. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Regal. Thanks for having us. Hello there. Thank you. Glad to have you. So while the the act of role-playing has obviously been around since the dawn of mankind, the modern role-playing game is specifically credited to Dungeons & Dragons, created by Gary Gygax back in 1974. Now, there had been a tabletop wargaming style of game that existed in the late 60s and early 70s, but Gygax took the rules for that and adapted them into a different system that most modern RPGs are based on. Essentially, for those listeners who don't know, a role-playing game is one that's played at a table and is key components are pencils, paper, and a set of dice that are more than just the six-sided ones that we used to in Monopoly or gambling dens. There are four-sided, six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty, thirty, and hundred-sided dice, and even a few other ones like a three-sided die. There is one person who controls the game called the Game Master, although that varies from game to game. For example, in D&D, he's called the Dungeon Master. The role of the Game Master, or GM, is not only to come up with the story or adventure that the players will embark on, but also to make sure that the flow of play is smooth and to keep on top of the rules of the specific games that they're playing. Players, called player characters, or PCs, um, have all their stats and skills written down on pieces of paper called character sheets, which reflect things such as their strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, etc. And depending on the game, PCs also have skills such as using firearms or a sword or being able to, bo- to move about stealthily or find hidden things. While the players control their actions, for example, using a sword to fight an enemy, the outcome is determined by the roll of dice. One last thing to note is that there are also things called non-player characters, otherwise known as NPCs, that are controlled by the Game Master. These are the types of characters that one would meet in everyday life, but don't necessarily participate in the main action of the story, such as a barkeep, a hotel owner, law enforcement, etc. So let's begin by going around the group here. Matt, what was the first RPG that you've played, and how old were you? Um, Dungeons & Dragons. It was probably about... Gosh, nine or ten years ago now, uh, which puts me in my mid-twenties. Um, it's not something that I picked up in childhood, certainly, though. That that wasn't through. That wasn't through trying it and not liking it. I just wasn't <laughs> aware of it as a, as a concept. Yeah, so about twenty, twenty-five, twenty-six years old, uh, I played my first campaign, which was limited in a few regards, but definitely bit me. Definitely gave me the bug. Excellent, excellent, Dan. I'll ask you the same question. Um, I think for me, I came at it at a uh, slightly different angle. I started with very much RPGs on um, console and PC. So I started with things like Final Fantasy, Zelda, um, 
so whereas the RPG started at tabletop, I think evolved into console and now is evolving back into tabletop. Yeah, I think I'd have started with things like Final Fantasy back when I was oh, nine, ten, maybe that far back. Wow. Um, and yeah, have then stuck with the, the console and computer game version, but um, now getting into, like, like you described in the intro, that pen and paper style game as well. Excellent, excellent. And Spency, how about you? Uh, well, I'm not nearly as old as anyone else here, but uh, I only started when I was 14, so I've only been playing for like five years now. And that was at least the tabletops. I grew up playing video games. I love video games a lot. So it was just kind of a natural thing, and I really enjoyed it. My first RPG really was uh, was um, Werewolf the Apocalypse, but it was like a D20 hybrid of it that is was really fun but it was just very very weird because it wasn't the right dice system so i got into D D from one of my friends actually and i don't know i just really haven't put it down i've tried other games like call of cthulhu and pathfinder and um vampire the masquerade so i don't know i really like it and i've been doing it for a little while excellent excellent yeah i um <clears throat> i'm probably going to age myself here when i say that i remember getting the original D&D basic box set when I was a kid back in 1977. And uh, later on, I, I got the advanced D&D box set, which didn't come um, too much after. I think it was the next year or two. And I, I really didn't know what I was doing when I first got it, but I got together with some friends and we figured it out. We also played a modified version of a game called Traveler that one of my friend's older brothers ran, which was the science fiction style role-playing game. But it wasn't until high school in the 80s that I got into the Marvel game and the DC role-playing game and then Call of Cthulhu, which that for me, that's been my go-to RPG for like the last 35 years. I mean, I've played several other games, um, including uh, RuneQuest, which is sort of um, similar to D&D, and I've joined in a few D&D campaigns here and there. Uh, Most recently, the one I've been playing in is the the campaign that Spency's been been running as a DM, and there's a lot to there's a lot to the role playing game history here. So, um, before we really dive into the role playing games itself, first of all, Matt and Dan, where are you guys located? We're in the UK, a, uh, a city called Birmingham, so it's the uh, second largest city in the UK. And can you describe to our listeners exactly what your show is about? Maybe give us a little history as how you arrived at doing a show. Yeah, sure. So um, there's four of us who play together. So there's myself, Powell, who's on the show at the moment, um, and two of our friends, Mark and Westy. Um, And we started very much the way that you've mentioned there, Spencer. We started, and it was all video games. Um, We played pretty much every multiplayer video game you can imagine. Um, And I think one of the great things about it is... All of us were originally in that city. Um, I've then moved around to live in London, live in Scotland for a while. But we had this ongoing tradition that every Wednesday we'd hop online and play games. And it became quite obvious that, you know, whilst, you know, video games are brilliant, we like the competitive multiplayer, the parts that were always really fun is what's uh, what's known as PVE, so player versus events where there's you as a team cooperatively playing the game so we always had in the back of our head that we wanted to play a D session we wanted to run a campaign um, but it's one of those that there's quite a lot of setup that goes into it so with a you know you turn your xbox on fire up a game and away you go this takes quite a bit more work but 
eventually we got to the point um i think it's Powell corrects me towards the beginning of last year i think um i think it was a little before that oh uh, blimey yeah I've, I've, I'll, I'll be honest <laughs> i've pretty much lost track of all concepts of time during covid um, yeah it's, it's still march 2020 right Yep, that's about right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we finally decided, you know what, we've been talking about it for years, let's do it. So I put myself forward as DM, and we have a story where the three heroes, heroes if you can't tell, that's very much in italics, in quotes, which are uh, my three friends there, get thrown into the world with very much a nice, simple, go to this place, look after this event, and we'll kind of spin it out from there. So the the history behind it is we've always wanted to play. We've always been mates and we've I, I think we've kept quite a close relationship because of those games. Um, and this is us finally taking that jump into D&D. And so far, hopefully I can speak for all of us, but so far it's just been fantastic to play out and more unique than any of the computer game session we've had to date, I think. Definitely. I think that's fair. And D and D is a it's a fantasy game. It's very similar to to J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Are you guys huge fans of of fantasy games, yep. or even fantasy movies or books or whatever? Yep, 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 yep. If if you listen to the podcast, um, you'll very quickly see that uh, whilst you try to stay original, it, it's very difficult not to have. You know, I'm I'm a, a big Tolkien fan. Um, I'm a, a big Brent Weeks. Um, Terry Pratchett, and you'll see all of these different works amalgamating into some plethora of different ideas and features that eventually emerge into a story and a world. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fancy fans, and I think you can uh, you can see that in our podcast with the different fancy works that then inspire it. Again, the, the thing, sorry to, to jump in there, um, the thing with D&D... 99% of games in the world are high fantasy, and the reason for that is it's incredible fun, and most of the people that like uh, D&D will be drawn to high fantasy, but there's no reason it has to be. You could have it set in a bustling metropolis in the future, you could have it set on a space station, That you, you really do have complete liberty to, to do whatever you like with it. Well, that space station part's going to be a spoiler for the next chapter, isn't it? I'm going to, I'm going to have to rewrite that one now. <laughs> That's awesome. What about you, Spency? I mean, me personally, I love the freedom, but I'm not crazy about everything fantasy, personally. I love D&D, and I really enjoy it because it is such an abstract thing you can work with. But I've found myself harder to get into things like Skyrim, which is the video game I akin to D&D whenever I want to explain it to somebody. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I have found that I really have a taste for Call of Cthulhu and um, Werewolf the Apocalypse and Vampire the Masquerade, which Werewolf the Apocalypse 5th Edition is coming out this year. Anyways, um, (laughs) so I found myself akin to the whole reality beneath our own society kind of deal. You know, like the Universal Monsters where Dracula exists, but we're still on Earth in whatever year, that kind of thing. I've really found that that's been a huge, huge selling point for me. Uh, I don't live for things like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings while I love them, and I think they're awesome just not my thing. I prefer things like Underworld and, you know, stuff like that. 
I think uh, I think Underworld's a fantastic classic in its own right as well, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And my my opinion is similar to Spencey's in that I'm not hugely attracted to fantasy, but I really do enjoy playing it. Like I, I, Spence, I I would really had fun in your last campaign in D and D. I think for me. Dungeons and Dragons is a game that I enjoy just being a player. I don't necessarily want to game master it per se. So, how did you guys, um, Matt and Dan, how did you guys decide who was going to be the game master? Um, I think I think Danny was most prepared. Um, it was open to all of us, of course. There was there was no real decision. Sit down, okay, let's draw straws. It was just um, we knew we wanted to do it. We knew we needed to to move on it. And Danny said. I've I've got a world ready, I, uh, and that 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 was that was basically it. I, I think I'm also the one who tends to get carried away the easiest. So, you know, one day there was right, let's do this, and then by the next day, I had three chapters, a world, a few different factions. Um, so yeah, I think part of it is I, I can easily just get swept away in that that escapism of doing things like that. Yeah, I really love the storytelling aspect of GMing. I yeah. gotta say, the fantasy thing works because you have so much creative freedom with it. I think that's a lot of fun. Right, you're not bound by the rules of, of the modern world. Yeah, exactly. You don't have the, the modern conventions. You can still have interesting parallels back to uh, modern society, but... You know, you, you don't have to be bound by standard constrictions. You can just say, right, we're going to do this. Where's the logic for it? Oh, because of this famous stone, whatever, get on with the game. Um, you don't have to think up every infinite level of detail and be bound by modern conventions. So, yeah, that that freedom to just go out and tell any story you want. Spencey, completely agree, mate. It's a lot of fun because especially when you play things like Skyrim and any other RPG like Dark Souls, yeah. and you want to talk to somebody as a, just a basic example, you're limited to what your character says. Like, don't get me wrong, they do give you a lot of options. If you ever played um, Fallout 4, that's a video game where you have four different options that go four different directions of good, bad, left and right, but when you're in, in a D&D campaign, you have to yourself think of something to say and say the right thing or don't say the right thing intentionally. I think the the conversation side of it, I think, is a brilliant example because, yeah, ones like Bethesda games in particular who um, develop games like Fallout 4, um, uh, Skyrim isn't too bad for it, the Mass Effect games, they all, they try to give you those branching conversations and, you know, they give that spiel of every decision you make can change the world. Uh, In reality, it can't. You know, there is, you are on a path, it may branch back and forth. Whereas in D&D, Spencer again is spot on with, you have to come up with what's going to be there. They don't give you this list of eight things and you pick one. And also you can just say whatever you want. You know, you may have to deal with the, the repercussions of it, but there's no limiter on it. It's It's purely down to your own level of creativity. What's in your head? Just throw it at the DM and the party and just see how people deal with it. Have you guys touched Cyberpunk at all? That just came out recently. Not yet. Uh, no, for very obvious tempted. reasons. Yeah, very tempted, but having seen um, a lot of the feedback at the moment, I'm, I'm going to wait for it all to, uh, to settle down for now. 
It's definitely on the radar, though. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've found, though, that a lot of people are replaying the game, and it they've actually managed to get a whole game to a point where the side missions do affect the main story. Like you said, you know, sometimes it's, oh, if this side mission fails or succeeds, it doesn't really matter. Whereas in that game, it's kind of a new thing that it really will give you a different ending depending on the side mission. I think they are getting closer to it because... You know, for for most of the console history, it was all a race in terms of graphics. I mean, even the original consoles were named after how many bits were available. Um, <laughs> we're now getting to the point where <laughs> graphics is so close to real. With ray tracing, it's so close to the uncanny valley that it isn't the graphics that sell the game as much anymore. It's the gameplay. So you get... AI being invested in things like those conversations, in things like the story being dynamic and reactive. And I think it gives you a much more engageable story that way. Suddenly now you have teams of writers rather than get the blue hedgehog to collect the rings and free the animals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, my my video gaming experience is not as extensive as you guys. I think the, the newest player that I have is the PS2. And uh, I really just like playing GTA and running around and driving over people and killing them. (laughs) As well you should. That will never get old. (laughs) No. (laughs) One thing I wanted to mention, too, is that I love about RPGs is the immense use of imagination. I mean, you get so immersed in them. It's like you're really there sometimes. And there have been many times where I've shared my gaming exploits as if it's something that I experienced in real life. And it, yes. it often reminds me, when I'm telling people this, it reminds me of that Red Dwarf episode where Rimmer was regaling Lister with his exploits <laughs> in the game Risk. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. I rolled an eight, and then a five, and then I got him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so do, I, I know, Spencer, you do this often, especially for video games, but Matt and Dan, do you guys ever find yourself doing that? Definitely. Um, because if nothing else, the, the adrenaline is real. The, the heightened heart rate is real. The white knuckles are real, and it's it's very hard not <laughs> to take a visceral experience away from that kind of biological reaction, and I'm, I'm breaking that down to its base points, but the real-life end point of that is go to work the next day, and you, you tell people in great detail exactly what happened in the dungeon the night before. A lot more detail than you usually <laughs> need to, isn't it? I'm probably way past the point where they're they're listening politely and they're just plain rolling <laughs> their eyes at you now. But it doesn't matter because you're reliving your glory. <laughs> uh, based on that, like when we play RPGs, you're in a generally speaking, you're in a room with somebody, so you can look at them and picture their character in your head. When you play a video game, I notice differences in my friends' characters because I look at them when I talk to them, even in-game. So it's just things like that. It does mirror real life. That's a very good point. Gaming is very, very similar no matter how you do it. Spency, when you say looking at them, are you guys seeing each other over video or are you looking at their game character? I play on Xbox and PC. So, I mean, I quite literally just look at their character with my character. And I have seen so many amazing shots of my friends who like get in each other's faces when they're having an argument <laughs> in real life, like, as if it's in real life, but they're not. They're not actually seeing each other. It's just their characters are now getting really close together, and I'm just from the side watching. But we're all just in the same 
party. It is an interesting point, though, because if you're playing games and like that scenario, with the same way that we're having this conversation now, you're in each of these headsets, away you go. But even though you don't need to, when you're talking to someone in game, you will turn your character to face them while you're talking to them. You'll walk why? over there. Yeah, why? It doesn't serve any utility. You don't get any benefit from it. But you're so immersed in the situation, you can't help but turn towards them while you're talking to them just in your headset anyway. So, yeah, it's a cool point. I look at their That's icons awesome. when they talk. Yeah. I don't like, wait. Right, right. right. <laughs> Now, I know that there are several massive multimedia role-playing games out there that are played online. There's one a friend of mine used to play a lot called EVE. Do you guys ever play those? And if so, is the gaming experience different from an RPG or similar? I, I am a, uh, a World of Warcraft recoverer. Um, <laughs> Pal's actually been in therapy. It, are you okay to talk about this now? I know it's. Uh, I think it's I'm strong enough. Do. I think I can do yeah. this. You can do it. This, this is, is a safe, a safe space. space. Here for you. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> spent two years of my life. I would literally go to my friend's house, including um, Danny's brother. I would go around the house. Um, we'd be watching a movie. We'd be. Uh, well, they'd be watching a movie. They'd be playing a, a real-life board <laughs> game together. And I would sit in a chair in the corner playing Warcraft. Um, and it, it got to the point where I had to turn away from it. When was that? Wow. How long ago? Uh, that was probably... Lord, that was probably about 15 years or so ago now. Um, I have a question. Would you, be, would you have been around in roughly September of 2006 playing World of Warcraft? <laughs> I think um, I know this is going. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> I need to know if I'm talking to a real survivor of <laughs> the corrupted blood incident of 2006. Um, they, they, that doesn't ring a bell to be honest. I imagine, I imagine not. Alright, alright. Sorry for that. Well, Spencey, why don't you describe it to us? Back when RPGs were still in their infancy, World of Warcraft was a brand new game. And so they brought in a raid boss. They had a whole new mission set, and it was for high-level, max-level players. Now, here's the thing. The boss would give you a status effect called Corrupted Blood, which would hurt you, and you know it would be a nuisance when you're high-level, but that's okay. It was <clears throat> transmittable to other players. And so that was kind of a problem, but if the players stayed away from each other, social distance, they would be fine. <laughs> but you could also give it to your companions, and then some characters would put their companions back into however they would store them in-game. And then when they went to public settings and community places to buy things or do anything else, they would pull their companions out who would still have the highly infectious, corrupted blood status effect and it would start murdering all these lower and middle tier <laughs> players. It, I, I read about it. It was violent, from what I understand. And then NPCs would get I, it. I did not live through that, thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it affected like three servers and about two million players. And Wow. That Back then, they didn't have, you know, Let's Play, so people couldn't just start recording instantly. There were people who flocked to cities, apparently, 
and just wanted to witness it. There were people who took the corrupted blood to the rural areas in every mission they could just to give it to more people. There were the healers trying to heal them, but then they'd get it themselves. And apparently you leave a skeleton behind when you die in World of Warcraft. There were skeletons littering the, <laughs> the community sections because just so many lower tier players had died over and over and over. One imagines this wasn't even a, a development choice. They they hadn't thought that it would be going along to the lower level players. Didn't expect it to leave the mission. They eventually patched it saying, if you leave the mission, so does Corrupted Blood leave you and all your companions. But they didn't say it left your companions when you left the mission originally. So it got to a point where so many people were doing so many different things that very much mirrored how the pandemic went down, at least here in the United States. <laughs> and uh, um, the CDC called, called, I forget who makes the game. I think it's... Um, it's a uh, Blizzard. It's a Blizzard. Blizzard. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the guys make Overwatch. Um, yep. they, they got a call yep. from the CDC asking, can we see the data from your, uh, your pandemic? <laughs> and the CDC was like... Was like this is cool, and Blizzard said, "Uh, no, no, it's just a bug. We don't want to. We don't want to do it." Well, <laughs> yeah. if if you're a developer, you don't want your bug to get to the level where the CDC have got it on record. But from that point of view, that is a very large scale simulation of a transmittable virus. That's it's the level of test data that you couldn't get in normal. Well, you you right. hopefully couldn't get in normal society. Right. That's insane. Apparently, the idea was floated of doing something like that for Second Life, Oof. which would have been arguably worse. <laughs> oh. than World of Warcraft. <laughs> but so, uh, something like that, like World of Warcraft, is that the, obviously from your description that it's it was you were so immersed in the game. Is is it very different from a tabletop RPG or similar, or how would you describe it? I think it was different. I um, the the tabletop element, by its very nature, requires people to play with. Um, whereas World of Warcraft was very much set up for group and party activities, but it was entirely possible to go and spend hours and hours, days on end, completely alone. And as I say, it was it was more dangerous. It was the the constant. The reward cycle it was vicious um and 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 i had to make a conscious decision to say uh i i need to see some of the people that i love in real life for a short amount of time and in return they resubscribed you to world of warcraft so no they we did? don't they... we don't need you back they bought me a lifetime package would you believe <laughs> that's crazy rise and shine my sinners when Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at GetDeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Remember the 50s, jukeboxes, hot rods, malt shops, and sock hops. No, not really. Oh, well, do you remember that TV show Happy Days? You know, Fonzie and Richie and all like that? A, sit on it, etc. Kind of. 
Then join us for These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast where we watch every episode and give you the lowdown on what it all means. Find us at thesedaysareours.libsyn.com and follow us on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. Be there or be square. You're sure you don't remember Sock Hops? Sorry, no. Okay, then. Back in the day... You know, at least in my experience, uh, role-playing games were mainly a guy thing. And I, I've actually had bad experiences where a player would drag his girlfriend to a session only to have her be annoyed and irritated by the whole thing because she really didn't understand what the game was all about. I think that's changed today, obviously. There are a lot more females playing role-playing games. But have you guys ever had any similar experiences? Yes, my wife. <laughs> um, I've asked her to come and I've asked her to come and um, sit on in a session of Lions and Legend. I've asked her to consider guesting. Um, I think she is a little perturbed by the role playing element. I think that's daunting to her. Um, but there's, I I can't foresee a future where I'm actually going to get her behind the mic. Well, it's it's interesting because we had um, a very similar situation with my fiance Lou, where um, the the point you just made there, Igor, about getting the, her head around it. You know, yeah. she she's played computer games herself. She's watched me play them. She she understands all that side. But when I was trying to explain the. You know what you mentioned earlier. I'd go back and regale these fantastic stories of <laughs> the three of our heroes skydiving off the airship and all this. And she'd say, "So was this on the screen?" I said, "No." So were there figures? No, no, it's in our head. Right? <laughs> but how, how can it be in your head? It's like, no, wait, it's imagination. But how do you decide? Well, they then roll dice. Are the dice imaginary? So, but if, <laughs> eventually, we got to the point of well. How about you join us for a guest episode? So we did a, a mini side quest. Um, Powell kindly stepped in and DM'd that session. And I played a, a playable character along with my fiance. Um, and I think, to your point, Powell, the, the trickiest part for her was the role playing. Yes. When you have all the mechanics of um, Rigor, again, you mentioned earlier about uh, the wisdom, charisma, strength, into all these different things. There's so many tools available now that just allow you to put the, the data in at the beginning, click a button, and there's your result. So that bit's nice and easy now, which I think used to be a bit of a barrier to entry. Hmm. Um, so now it was a case of that role play, getting into that mood, but... Um, I I did find that to begin with, I think she was quite hesitant. But as soon as the three of us started chatting and just bouncing silly situations back and forth and doing stupid voices for the characters, um, she very quickly settled into it, enjoyed it, and you know has been chasing me ever since, saying, "Right, so when are we doing the next one? When's <laughs> when's the next side quest that she can ride shotgun on?" Yeah, that's the same for me. My girlfriend loved it from the get-go. The moment I mentioned it, she's like, yeah, let's do that. So I was like, okay, sweet. Now I have someone else I could play with. That's that's important. Fantastic. <laughs> she was not too good at the role-playing thing. She didn't understand it for a while. It's not that she didn't necessarily like it, but she just didn't quite get how it worked. But now she's gotten really comfortable. We played Pathfinder, which is an offshoot of D&D, so it's just uh-huh. D&D, but just more. And... um <laughs> She's been playing a character where we found out that this one 
female character just so happened to also like women. And so that was her opportunity to say, uh, I'd like to seduce her. <laughs> and I was like, wait, you want to do it? <laughs> yeah. I have no charisma, so I wasn't going to try, but this girl was so comfortable role-playing, she was happily piped up for that. <laughs> and even my DM, my DM is a coworker of mine, he came into work the next day, he's like, so she really tried? I'm like, yeah, she did. It's She's actually doing it. And he's like, okay, I guess we're going to go with it. He, she, already, she already turned down one of my other players, who is a, a male, and he is role-playing it as he doesn't quite understand that she doesn't like him. <laughs> so he's doing it to impress her, and it's not working. That's funny. Yeah, and your girlfriend, Spency, when we were rolling up your Call of Cthulhu characters, which Call of Cthulhu, by the way, is a, a role-playing game based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, she said to you, or to us, can I secretly be a serial killer? And I'm the game master. I'm like, no, no, you guys are heroes. You can't secretly be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you going to say there? Uh, I was just going to mention that I think, um, to, to Spencey's point, some of the most interesting and ridiculous moments tend to be around relationships. Yeah. Um, so we, we've got this one game that we're recording and under DM for, and then we have another game that we're just playing in, which is fun for me because this is my first um, campaign DMing, and I've never played it myself. So it's nice then having that other game to play in. And yeah, we, we had this fantastic moment where my character in that is a, a tiefling bard. So very charismatic, <laughs> very, very cocky. Yes, yeah, Spencey's laughing. He already knows where this one's going. Oh, no. <laughs> and then uh, our friend who is uh, someone I've known for a long time, and he's, he's a few years younger than me. But th- we then had this fantastically awkward moment where I, I you know, I tried to seduce him. <laughs> and yeah there's there's roles going on and everything but there's you know and his uh his brother one of his cousins they they're all in the group and there's just this this wonderful fun morbid fascination knowing that you're making all these family members feel really awkward while you try to seduce their younger brother <laughs> that's hilarious you know and it's funny especially for people who who don't play role playing games or don't even understand them like i remember as I, when i was a kid you know, my friends and I, we'd be sitting in the kitchen playing till the, you know, the wee hours of the morning. And one of my parents would walk through the kitchen and they didn't, invariably they'd ask, who's winning? <laughs> Can someone explain to the audience why that is just a totally erroneous question to ask someone who's playing a role-playing game? I disagree. That is a very valid question. Because <laughs> as, as a DM, as a common DM, because I'm the only one who actually wants to play, at least among my friends who can play, as an avid DM, when I'm asked who's winning, I just look at the board and I say, well, are they still alive? I guess they're doing okay. <laughs> so That's a very good answer. So your, your players, Spency, then, are in a perpetual state of they'll soon be losing. But until they reach that, they're winning for now. My favorite part of any role-playing game is the progression. It's yes. like, I've heard that I like that some people like the stakes, like, oh, my character could die. I'm like, I try to make sure that characters are not going to get instantly killed, that if, if the player is careless, then yeah, maybe their character will die. But I want them to succeed. However, I also thoroughly enjoy challenging them. So sometimes when I'm designing a room, I just look through the monster manual i'm like oh this looks fun 
Oh, this looks painful. <laughs> uh, okay, little, little too more, too powerful. A dragon. Okay, we're gonna just lower one piece of the stats for this dragon, and we're gonna call it a day. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun because I play with creative players too. I play with Igor over <laughs> here, and he, he has, he has harassed so many of my bosses, and circumvented so many of my traps and things like that. <laughs> That I've I've had to get creative and challenge them with some interesting fights. I like to think outside the box when I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly try. Unfortunately, Danny sees that coming and and sets up counter traps. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of the things I learned very early. For for our first session, I was nervous and I'd never DM'd before, so. I had a story and I had about eight different branches where I thought it could go. And it, nice and straightforward, episode one, they wake up, they're on an airship, they they are simply tasked with go to this city, save the day, come back and be heroes. Wonderful, nice, easy cannon fodder for any RPG. We got less than half an hour in and while Powell's character Dorvin was looking over the edge of the airship... Um, one of the others just said, okay, um, I, I push her off the edge. <laughs> so within that second, you know, you can't write for it. The entire campaign's derailed and we're suddenly in a, a, a fantasy point break style skydive <laughs> where they're all trying to save each other. Um, and that side of it's just fantastic. So, yeah, especially with these three lovable fools, I think is the polite term I can give, um, you it's fantastic because you're always on your feet and it's always, okay, right. You've always got to react and try and, when they think the way around the situation, come at, come back at them a different way. Um, you know, you reward that ingenuity, but you want to you wanna try and outthink them and outmaneuver them at times as well. Well, that's one thing I found being a game master. It's, I, I try to plan for every possible outcome, every possible thing the characters would do, and you can never do that because they're always going to do something that you, you didn't see. No. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think those are also the most fun moments. Yeah. You know, if if it was just on, if you know, if it was like a, a, a first-person shooter where the game is just you're you're on the train tracks, you enjoy the ride, and you know where you're going to end up, then fine, fair enough, it could be fun. But the best parts with these are when you're playing a game and then suddenly you, you're going off in a completely different direction. You weren't planning for it, and then it's a case of, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this. Like, Powell has a, a tendency with... Uh, that they're in this village at the moment where they're fighting off demons and f- very straightforward, and he has this wonderful tendency to jump down in front of people of authority and shout in <laughs> demonic voices at them. <laughs> so, again, something... You know, I, I, I had no plans for him doing that, so then it's a case of, OK, well, I guess we'll think our way through this situation then. <laughs> Now, now, just to be clear, that wasn't that that wasn't just to cause chaos. That was a a well thought out strategy that had an yep. excellent chance of succeeding. True. Until someone pointed out that it didn't. Yeah. And then I realised they were quite right. <laughs> and that again, again, just just for the sake of clarity in the record, that that well thought out strategy when it didn't work the first time, what was the logic coming back and trying it again a second? Well, now I warned everybody involved on the second time. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't did. expecting follow-up questions. My, my strategy for that is instead of planning 
out what possible events. I focus on the important enemies and any characters with personality. I focus on them and see how they would react and make sure I kind of understand their personality. Right. So I'm expecting the players to go off the rail. So then I know how this character is going to react and I can kind of plan with that and have yeah. fun with yeah. that. That's my system. Like when we try to infiltrate the, the vampire lair there? They, oh, I have a story. They canceled an act, an act four. <laughs> I had a four-act game for them to go through. They go through the first three, and the idea was the boss would escape, and then they would have to come back and stop his plot. They killed him! <laughs> yeah. well, we snuck in. We see, infiltrated see. it disguised as, as a traveling band of entertainers. And it was funny because it was so out of character for our characters, but it totally worked that we would sneak in. They were like totally mesmerized by what we were doing. And meanwhile, one of our other character was sneaking around, you know, trying to find whatever it was that we needed to find. And we totally took them off guard. Mind, mind you, one of the least combative <laughs> characters decided to sneak off and go and figure things out. And <laughs> yeah. you missed so much. And then they finally get to this big arena. That was my big thing. So I could test out random monsters on them. And uh, they they finally get there, and two of them are like, "Oh, we have an idea to kill this this vampire king." I'm like, "Oh no!" I shoot an arrow at him, and the other one says, "I want to cast daylight on it." And I I was very very depressed because he crit. Oh, <laughs> he, he 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 sailed beautifully, and I'm like, "Yeah, you you killed him." Game over. <laughs> you win. But I have to say, I respect you as a, a GM for that, because there are those out there that would have said, oh, and at that moment his falcon swept down and cast the arrow from there. No, 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 that's that, that's that's railroading and it's completely unfair. What you did was react to the unfortunate and unwanted turn of events <laughs> and say, well done, this round goes to you. Yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling that Powell is trying to make some very subtle points about my I was definitely DM speaking to there. Spencey there. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I considered I considered so many things of like how I could do this and I'm just no, nah, they they got it. They were creative enough. I almost ruined their strategy because my girlfriend tried to steal something from somebody and rolled a natural one oh. and I didn't ruin their little stealth strategy, but I did I did remove a very fun NPC that they enjoyed, and I, I had him run away. I, I did punish them a little bit, but I was like, I don't want to ruin this. I want to see where this goes. If I force them into combat, it, it it's just going to be combat. As if I, if I let them be stealthy. When you have those moments as well, you, it, you want to set up the challenge. And like Powell was saying, thinking that up is really cool. That is a fantastically unique moment in the story. And, yeah, it, I think you have to reward that rather than, you know, take it away I, from I people. I had options for them, but no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's one of the cool things, too, is that for the GM, it, it challenges your, your um, imagination. When a character, you've got it set up, okay, so this is going to happen overnight and the characters are going to discover it in the morning. Well, no, because the char one of the characters decided to go to that place tonight and spend the night there. So now you have to think around it and figure out how to get it to happen without throwing the whole story off. You know, and I love the, the challenge to the imagination with stuff like that. It it's fantastic for um, you know. I think one of the 
misunderstandings around D and D is the role of the the DM or you know for general RPGs the GM, where I think a lot of people who don't play have this misconception that the DM sets out the story, says what do you want to do, and then that's it. They just guide them through the story, but it the fantastic part for the DM is when your friends when the heroes do things like that and like you say Regal you're then you're then challenged to on the spot adapt a huge part of your narrative yeah you know it's not like in a film or a book where they can suddenly say oh um by the way they've already arrived at the mountain oh uh okay let, let's rewrite the entire film that's what you're doing on the fly in D, and that's what Personally, as a, a DM, I found really exciting and, and challenging. I think that the human element attached to that is you've written, you could have spent hours and hours writing this fourth act, writing the story the way you wanted the, the major beats to go. Um, and there is there is going to be a small part of you that says, "Oh, but I really want to tell my story," um, and it, it takes <laughs> the it, it takes the I'm going to say moral courage to just say, "No, they've earned this." This, this right. is wrong for me to push them into my story. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you guys, I was listening to your show and you go into real detail. Like you've, I think the most recent one, you've got these characters that are, are on this wall and they're trying to defend, I think it's a city or a castle. And um, you go into yeah. such detail, like they even have like somebody passing around a piss bucket. Because <laughs> <laughs> those guys got to wait there. <laughs> You, uh, yeah, uh, th- I mean, that's one that the guys, they, they did take the mickey out of me for it. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that it's those those little details around the outside that layer on that escapism and reality. One of the things I enjoy is, uh, uh, like you say, that, that scene you're talking about is they're, they're on the wall, they're defending it against these demons that are attacking. Things go sideways, and I mess with them a bit. Um, And if that was the story, you know, fair enough, nice and straightforward. But I think putting those little bits of detail, for me, it's on the story side. For the guys, it's in the little ways they react. They could just say their lines, but they don't. They all tend to just give it a little bit of character, a little bit of explanation that that wraps around it. And I think that adds that bit. And and as a a mechanic, looking at just the the pure gameplay element you know it, it's unlikely but i might want to fling that bucket at someone so i need to know it's there um so but the downside is none of you searched <laughs> it because if you searched it that's what that's where the power stone was someone did fix it though well, it, yeah i think it was actually uh i think it was actually powell who cast mending on the bucket because you know I'll I'll be honest, I've got no idea why, but I guess if I put something there, inevitably they will screw with it. The planets are always upset, Danny. That's why we do this. (laughs) I I didn't mean to do this one thing, but I cast light on a sending stone, which means the other sending stone had light cast on it. That's the whole magic behind them. Mm. And I walk into this this room of barrels, and I'm like, okay, cool, I opened one up. The DM's like, you open one up. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, okay, so the one of them next to you has light coming out of it. I'm like, oh, it has light. I'll open that up. He goes, okay. And I'm like, I'm sure. I make a, I make a roll. Turns out it was a mimic. And I was about to get eaten. And it, had, it ate the sending stone. <laughs> and it's just, a, it's just things like that that he was like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get them to actually 
want to engage with the mimic and then all of a sudden oh there's light coming from this one now he's interrupted <laughs> it's, it's fun ways to guide the players yeah I for sure hilarious. enjoyable i and i like small stuff too like you said mending on a bucket i once stuck a dart in a lock and jimmied the lock open without having to find the key and that was a whole part of the adventure like two and that's great. Now, Matt and Dan, I had a question for you. I, I think it was in the same episode. Um, the characters went to sleep, and you as the Game Master asked them what they dreamed. Now, I thought that was an interesting way of doing it because the way I would approach it, and I have approached it in the past with character dreams, is I figure that's sort of in the realm of the Game Master because you can't control your dreams. So, like, like especially in something like Call of Cthulhu where the, if characters have dreams, they're sort of integral to the to the game itself. How did you come up to the choice to have the characters tell you what they dreamed that night? Um, but Like I say, it's an interesting one because with something like Call of Cthulhu, because it's Lovecraftian, that that sense of the the gm controlling the dreams and almost invading the players minds with them i think is a fantastic mechanic for that kind of game um for this one one of the things i really enjoy is building the world with um with my friends um so we've done a a a backstory for a couple of them and rather than me saying here it is what do you want to do we build it together now one of the things I wanted to do with that dream sequence is, to that point, they'd mostly been travelling from A to B. When they got to B, they hit something in the face until it died. Then they went from B to C, um, tried to charm an ogre, all of this weird stuff. But I wanted to give them an opportunity to, um, one, give us a feel for what's going on in their heads, what's their character thinking, what they're feeling, Um and and two, try to merge the world a bit. So rather than it just being me saying, here's where you are, here's what we're going to do. Um, it's one where I can say to them, right, tell me what's in your head. And then unbeknownst to them, I've used that to build some of the future campaign that they'll come up against. Um, so it... That's excellent. It, well, it, it's one that I think I just... I. It's an interesting one with RPGs again, and it's where I think D&D sets itself aside from your standard console RPG in that with a console, you can often go anywhere you like, do what you want, but inevitably you've always got that same story driving it. Um, But with this, we can build the entire world. If we don't like the way something's happening, fantastic, click your fingers, the next episode it's changed, so... I wanted something where they could build the world with me, so it's not just them playing in my adventure, it's our adventure as a group. That's awesome. I have a, another question too, and this is to all, all of you guys who are game masters. I made a faux pas once, long time ago, with a player, where we were doing Cthulhu, and I was running the game, and it was a solo side mission. And this guy had been captured by um, these people that were sort of like, they were demonic, but they were like Texas Chainsaw kind of demonic. Mm -hmm. And he was trapped in this underground dungeon kind of thing, and they were kind of torturing him every once in a while, and he managed to actually escape. However, he stepped out the door, and I think, I forget exactly which what role I made him make. I think it was just to be stealthy or something. And he stepped in a puddle of blood, and he fumbled his role. So he slipped and fell, 
And not only did he take damage, but he alerted the bad guys to where he was. And I just burst out laughing. And I felt so bad <laughs> afterwards. Because you're not supposed to laugh at your players when they fail the role. I, I personally, I wouldn't consider that a faux pas. I mean, you've, you've absolutely not. No, you've you've listened to some of our stuff, and we take um, great pleasure in taking the Mickey out of one That's another. That's true. Yeah, we we have something. Our our term for it is punch cuddles. The idea being yes. that, you know, you've got the cuddle of, hey, you know, we're best mates, love you, etc. Um, but because we're all grown men, you're not allowed to show emotion. So there has to be a punch that goes with it. Um, so yes. we have that blend of, you know, if if someone does fumble a roll, then, yeah, I, I don't think it's a faux pas to laugh. I think it's you, you're both in that moment together. It's not I, I think the only difference is and I can't imagine it would have been this, but. You're laughing at the situation. The incredulity of it, it is one of the, the right. different forms of comedy. Um, if you're <laughs> laughing at them, that's different. But you need to be able to laugh at that. It's it's these ridiculous, fantastic moments that you know you'll be talking about. Oh, do you remember that time you stood in the blood and rolled a one? You know, you you, you talk about this, <laughs> that stuff for years to come. And the the reason the reason I play D and D, the reason it has such an attraction for me is I don't know of any other format that allows for collaborative storytelling between a group of friends where chance plays such an enormous part and that story you created in that moment was so devastating that it did (laughs) swing back round to funny and you know you're an author in that he's an author in that you're both looking at this work that 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 you two and Chance put together. And what can you do in that situation but laugh? I, I, right. I made my DM cry laughing for, for quite a while, a couple of minutes straight, because I was playing a, I'm playing a combat-based character in Pathfinder, and I'm playing an Earthbender, which is really cool. And uh, I throw rocks at people. That's my whole shtick. Now... I sneak in and I throw a rock at a man inside of a cave after having just caved in two other goblin skulls. You know, we're doing great. I go to take out this guy because I have a really high attack bonus. I fumbled. I fumbled the roll and everyone in the cave (laughs) was alerted and the entire stealth mission went up in flames. And... It's I can't I'm just so upset because it's just chance. I had real no control over whether that would have happened or not. And that's, that's I love awesome. that. I love that element. I, I think one to just point out quickly for the people listening, if you haven't played an RPG or in particular D and D, listen to the tone of voice in Spencey in that one. And previously, when you were talking about when you were DMing and they just took your campaign off the rails, the the part four. I can't think of any other medium where you get that tone of voice, which is just the sheer incredulity of it, the sheer, and you would not believe it. This then happened. You don't get that watching a film. You know, you you might watch Game of Thrones and go, oh, could you right. believe that moment? But you don't have that exasperated, right. hilarious incredulity, that wonderful, uh, to, to Powell's point, it takes all those different things, the story, the different people coordinating, conversing, and then um, Lady Luck putting that perfect moment in your hands. And then it suddenly, 
wow, we, we've got something that is, is genuinely unique and nobody's done, and that moment's ours. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a big thing. Yeah. I've often thought it would be a great idea to get a group of people together to write a movie script, but the way you do it is you role-play it out. And whatever the dice outcomes are, that's what happens. I think the problem is that they did that, and it was The Matrix 2. And after how bad that was, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're not returning to that idea, I'm afraid. It's not always gold. <laughs> so, so, Matt, I have a question for you. We've been throwing some game mechanics out there. I mentioned fumble. Fumbles are associated with something called criticals. Can you explain to our audience what a fumble and a critical is and why it's important to role-playing games? Because I think pretty much across the board you have those concepts. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, as we said, uh a situation unfolds, you choose your character's reaction to it, and the next thing you do <clears throat> is roll. Uh, based on your character's abilities, strengths, and attributes, you'll add a positive or negative number to that roll. Um, and that's that's the mechanic. Now, the two main exceptions to that are what we call a uh, a critical or a natural one, which is where you roll either a, a 20, the highest value on the 20-sided die, or a 1, the lowest, of course. And that 20 is coveted. It is sought after amongst all players at all times for all roles because it means everything goes perfectly. Um, lots of the time, you won't have to add any bonuses to it. Uh, if it's for a combat attack, you'll double the damage that you do. It's, it's, it's what you want to hit every time. And of course, a nat one is a natural one is the exact opposite of that. Um, I could have, I could be playing Conan, I could be playing, I, I could be playing <laughs> Iron Man, and if I roll a natural one, I'm I'm uh, at high altitude and my booster's cut out. It's everything goes as badly as it can. There is almost no recovery from it. In fact, for you personally, there will be no recovery. You'll need somebody <laughs> to pick up your sword and give it back to you. You'll need somebody to get you off the ground. Um, if you've lit a stick of dynamite, you want to throw it into a cave. You roll in that one. As you pull it back, you hit yourself in the head with it, take damage, <laughs> fall prone on the floor, and it's under you. Um, you're in a great deal of trouble. Uh, and that that's the way... One and twenty work. Those are the, those are the two criticals. Right, right. And in Call of Cthulhu, it's a it's a percentile based game. So you roll two ten sided dice, and you get anywhere between one and a hundred, and a one. But in Cthulhu, you're rolling under your skill score. So if you say got a fifty in something, you need to roll fifty or under. So if you roll a one, that's a critical. If you roll a hundred, that's a fumble. And it's the same same mechanic. You know, just different different types of dice dice rolling. I should say. That that's fun. Yeah, I, I mean that they're, they're they're all obviously dice based, and you always want you, you always want the extremes um, for the player for the story. Probably not so good. I think that right. <laughs> the um that they have the base level mechanical implications, like like you've mentioned, Paul. Around you know, if you roll a twenty while you're swinging a sword, fantastic, you're going to do twice as much damage. But from a role-playing point of view, from a DM's point of view, a 1 or a 20 are just pure gold because it's <laughs> it's immediately free reign to just go over the top with your storytelling 
the the one we mentioned about the skydive um Dorvin Powell's character was pushed off the edge of this airship um had the chance to roll to grab onto the side and for the first roll of the game um rolled a a, a fumble and that one natural one yeah which the then meant the it, it, it then meant fantastic we can have fun there and i was able to say okay not only do you fall off the ship but you drop the the orb the one thing that was going to make you land safely so uh, essentially my parachute yeah best of luck now you get to figure that out so i think they're, <laughs> they're fantastic for just really nice and straightforward story mechanics as well that one or a 20 immediately just gets you a hey have fun with this moment i agree that's what i was gonna say it's the perfect time to both reward a player and punish. <laughs> yeah because i've had so many times where rigor you specifically you have been very problematic in my campaigns and when you fumble i love it <laughs> but when you crit when you crit, I also acknowledge that it's an instant success and good job, well done. And the head goes flying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That, this... that exact moment, we, we had one where um, that night on the wall, that was the end of their first day. That was the their promotion from level one to level two, so their, their entry-level rite of passage. So they'd fought these small waves of small creatures, and then the wall crumbles and this... You know, this obviously a boss comes slithering through the crowd. And here's the big showdown. Here's going to be their big moment to go toe-to-toe. Um, they stepped forward and they took one attack each and just killed it. Um, and, yep, uh, Dorvin's character made this magical attack, rolled a nat 20. And it's it's one of those... At, at, at the same time, you're sat there thinking, oh, okay, well... There's the big boss I've been building up to, and it's gone in a second. Um, but it's a fantastic <laughs> moment, so we we ran with it, and as a result, Powell's character, Dorvin, now has these magical symbols of power tattooed into her hand from how powerful the attack was. I think it's just a it's free license to just say, right, here you go, it's a 1 or a 20. Enjoy yourself, do what you want, be as uh, creative as you can. I yeah. I have a question for specifically you two because you DM D and D more often than not. How often do your NPCs fumble or crit? Because it go- does go both ways. For anyone who's curious, yes, the NPCs can fumble. They have to roll the dice too. So <laughs> I'm curious what stories you have of the NPCs failing and succeeding. Um, we we've had a couple. I think the the only one that really worked out as a, a big sigh moment for me is on their way to to visit this this city that they're supposed to defend. They come across this orc guarding a bridge. You know, very because it's their first day. A lot of it is just very basic, almost tutorial for the guys playing and people listening. Um, and they're given a you know a. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail-esque, you must answer me these questions three. Um, didn't go far as the doves, but, you know. Um, and partway through, Powell decides, you know, going with uh, the company motto of we have to screw with Danny's plans wherever mm-hmm. possible, and steps up and tries to charm this big, horrible orc. Um, and the orc fumbled its role. Um, and just immediately became completely subservient, offered them to, to have his his prize boar, 
gave them directions. He's now out there angry and aware of it. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, Spencer, the NPCs, when they roll, again, it, it changes the entire story. So what should have been a bit of a showdown, maybe a fight on the bridge, um, became... I think he's at. He actually became romantically interested in Dorvin and wanted to climb in the cart at one point. He certainly did. It, yeah, it changes everything, doesn't it? I have seen so many jokes about that. Is you know the fighter getting his sword ready, the wizard getting his spells ready, and then there's the bard, <laughs> and it just it works. It works. So, do you guys, all three of you, as game masters, do you like or? Um, not like having to run non-player characters npcs um i i had a situation in the game that we played with uh with lou to get her involved the one i, I, I dm'd for danny and, and his fiance um where a character was supposed to be killed off early that was the way i'd written it <laughs> Um, they were there as the quest giver uh, that would then be immediately killed and the quest would begin with the two players solo. Unfortunately, Danny and Lou found a way to keep this person alive and then I hit a very real dilemma near the end of the game where I was controlling this NPC who was having to fight my NPCs. Uh, that was... That was a big problem. I didn't like that um, because I'm not there, or, or I should say the, the, the DM, the GM, isn't there to help the players and they're not there to hinder the players. They're there to be fate. And I, I found when you're when you're playing both sides very literally, rolling the dice and trying to do damage for both sides, it's it, it muddies the waters a little. <laughs> what about you Dan? Um for me I I think it's a it's a mix. I the NPCs for me aren't too bad when it's the you, you tend to have the like any film or book you have the main cast and then which in this case are our heroes and then very much the supporting cast. The main problem I have which any of our group will be happy enough to to recommend and point out is the fact that somehow all of the voices I do end up sounding like Michael Caine in the Italian job. Or, or um, Yoda. So, <laughs> or Yoda. Yeah, it's either Yoda or Michael Caine, no, no matter what. Um, so for the most part, um, I I enjoy them, but for me, they're very much enablers. The, the story isn't about them. They are interesting character points, sorry, interesting plot points. Um, plot devices, the occasional Deus Ex Machina, but for the most part, for me, I I enjoy using them to enable the players to do something. So again, for an example, we we have a uh, on their way to this first city, our three heroes stumble across a dead body. Um, they take it with them to return it to its family. Um, and on the way, one of our players um, ransacks this person, steals the valuable stuff. Um, and it was never part of the story. But then you can use an NPC to say, hey, where's that valuable possession? And it's not really about the NPC at all. It's about enabling that player to have a moment of how would you deal with this? What would your character do and, and react and uh, grow it from there? 
Right, right. Spency, what about you? Uh, NPCs are a point of contention for me because I don't love playing NPCs and I tend not to include them in the party and just kind of let the party go free. However, some NPCs, what I do is I build them as characters I would want to play myself and then I just give them a new name. It's, so I have them in the adventure and kind of in some ways can test them out if I want to have a big crazy war, but I don't necessarily need to have them do anything that's different. I have, am in a campaign right now where we have an NPC with us and she's a healer because none of us can do that. <laughs> the DM was like, yeah, you guys are going to need her. We're like, yeah, sure. And sure enough, she's come in handy very, very many times. I think, so I think they're, they're great, but I don't love the, the playing of them because it's, like you said, it's not about them and the other thing is that some people think that every time you play D&D, you have to play necessarily a good character, this, that, and the other. You don't have to deal with good people more often than not. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I think um, one of the points you make there, Spencey, again, which is a really good one, is the, the difference between NPCs in the world and NPCs in the party. I think when they're out in the world and the, the party can meet them and talk to them and interact, I think that's fantastic. Um, I, um, I, I try to avoid them being in the party because I don't want to take that gameplay away from the three heroes, but like you have there where they need a healer, then they're a useful mechanic in order to fulfill that, to fulfill that from, from our side, um, and never intended it, but our group now have two jackals that they've taken hostage and they used to pull them around on a cart and, suddenly these two are NPCs that are in the party. So I think interacting with is fun and enables uh, enables the plot, but I think I'd agree with Spencer. I'm not a massive fan of them being in the party. It's enough that the DM has to keep track of, is that? <laughs> yeah, that's enough. They, they have to deal with all the enemies, all the monsters, <laughs> they have to manage all the rules and make sure this all works together and that the rules flow, and then they have this final NPC who I I forgot was in the initiative turn order and he's going to take his sword swing and we're going to call it a day. And I think it erodes impartiality as well when they're in, when they're in the party. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't necessarily see, I am the type that I don't mind as a game master having NPCs, but I think it's a little bit different. It would be different if I was playing D and D, but with Cthulhu and where we're at in that game, I've got this world that I've built up since the late 1980s. So, there's just so much more going on in this world that it's impossible for some of the characters not to interact with NPCs and for some of the NPCs to end up in the party, especially in a game that's that's so dangerous for the players that if you go in with one or two players, chances are 50% of them are going to die. So having the NPCs not only is good for in that respect that it takes the weight off of the fact that they might get killed as well and or lose their mind or whatever... Um, it, it's definitely challenging to run, I find, to run a lot of NPCs. And, and even Spence, you can attest there were points where we had some NPCs where I would like literally give you their little character sheets and say, hey, can you guys just make the make the um, f- combat rolls for him and you make the combat rolls for her and that sort of thing. So doling that out works so that the players aren't sitting there watching me roll for every other character. But I personally like, like them. I, I personally feel like I can be impartial and... You know, they're not really 
pushing the story forward. They're there as yeah. support, and then that's how I play them, whether they're hold good on, guys or yeah, bad guys. Yeah, I'll agree with that. You hold NPCs to such a high value, yet when I play a solo adventure with you, you just let them die, <laughs> and you say, why didn't you just get out when you could when I'm trying to save as many as I can? Because I care about these people. But apparently you did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was me role-playing the villain. So <laughs> it's not my fault that the workers died. I just sound truly impartial. It was just very, very much like he's like, yeah, NPCs are so important. And I'm like, what do you mean? You let them die the moment that monsters showed up. <laughs> <laughs> they failed their roles. I can't help that. <laughs> You know, that's the thing about role playing too is it's a lot like acting. I love I love that aspect of it. And um, you know, in some of the games that I used to play uh when I was younger and in various different games, um you would get as a player, you would get rewarded for staying in character as as you yourself, you know, staying in your like let's say I had a character who had an Australian accent. And every time I talked in that character's voice, I had to put on the Australian accent. And then at the end of the game, I would get so many luck or gaming points or whatever you want to call it that I could apply to different things. Uh, Matt and Dan, do you guys do anything like that? Do you have any sort of system like that? The system's in the game, whether or not Danny actually. Yeah. Gives us the reward. Is, uh, I'll, I'll let listeners decide. <laughs> if li- listeners, if you do listen very closely, you can hear the world's smallest violin <laughs> playing for Powell right now. <laughs> um, pa- Powell's right. There, there's a mechanic in the game dedicated exactly to that um, called inspiration, and it's essentially it's a disposable resource. What it allows you to do is. Um, re-roll a roll. So if you roll poorly, you can say, right, I'm going to use my inspiration, roll that again. That's it at its most basic form. Um, but it's something that the the DM can just give out whenever they want. Um, now, um, I tend to give it out quite uh, restrictively, if that that's not the right word, but anyway. Um, but I, I, what I tend to do is if someone has role-played their character well, like like you've said uh, there, Igor, around the Australian accent, um, not so much around voices, but if, like, for example, there, there was one point where Mark's character um, finds some gold in a sack um, and opts not to take it because he's not interested in wealth. He is a, a, a ranger, a man of the wild. Um, whereas almost everybody it, in every RPG game ever, you want to essentially pick up everything you possibly can because it might be the item. This one bit of string that I found inside this tin can, could this be the thing that unlocks the mystery? Right. So it does have that mechanic there where you can just reward that role-playing side whenever you want. When something someone's done something really cool... Um, the other thing I do, which is a bit more outside of the normal mechanics, is um, if there's something really exceptional, like at the end of day one, I mentioned that m- magic attack that Dorvin performed, that, that Powell performed, um, and it was so perfect, and it dealt such a level of damage that the characters had never done before. Um, what I do is I try to reward it in a way that it isn't, oh, well, you now get a potion, or you now get a special hat. Um, I gave him this this tattoo of power that won't change the game. It won't change it immensely, but he now has this 
cosmetic thing that he knows his character has and changes his character and it ties back to that moment of role playing. I think doing stuff like that is always quite fun. Uh, I, uh, to add on to that, I do that with my characters because obviously I don't want to think up a whole backstory, say I have a, you know, a 35-year-old character. I don't want to have to think up 35 years of experience. So I give them a few important character traits that I would want to role play. And then I try and <laughs> add in other smaller traits. Like I, I jokingly put a pen in my mouth and pretended I was smoking a cigar the entire session. And, yeah. <laughs> and so now um, my girlfriend got me a um, fake cigar to use as <laughs> as a prop. That's awesome. Oh, excellent. So I'm really excited <laughs> to use that. And so I don't mind that when it comes to just small character traits. I think about that in movies and books and everything. A lot of people I hear critique things where they don't characterize some people enough. Well, I'm like, well, no, they have these small character traits that are the most important things you need to know about them you know if they're not the main character you don't need to see every emotion they they have just see who they are i I think that's a really good point having having that difference between those again it comes back to i think those small details that bring something home and make it real it's the difference between making someone a character versus a caricature right you don't need to make them over the top and ridiculous but those those small affectations that's what then makes the character real in people's heads, I think. And and be, when you're playing a character and trying to stay in character, it's fun because like there was one time in one of Spencey's sessions where you know he was game mastering and I turned to one of the other players and I said, "Oh, you should do." And I as I started to say it, I go, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm not there. Never mind," because my yeah. character wasn't there. So you have to consciously make sure you're aware of things you say and do t- that could influence other players. Well, it's it's one of the interesting yes. things to try to explain to people who haven't played D&D. And it's a concept called metagaming. So the, the four of us, let's say we're playing a session now. All of our characters are in there. Uh, Spencer, your character goes into a room and finds that, you know, the, the big boss is in there. Um, the three of us, as players, we know what's happened. But you have to still play as if your character right. doesn't know. It's that level of metagaming on top of the game where it's the way I tried to describe it to to Lou, my fiance, is it's the difference between being the actor where, you know, for example, let's take Sean Bean, being the actor where you know you're guaranteed to die in this film at some point um, versus his character in the film who goes along as if they don't know it. So, yeah, it's, it's always interesting playing that out. And I think there are times when it's, it's it's even harder than that than than what you've described there. The character knows and the player doesn't. For instance, um, again, if we four were playing and I turned to the DM and said, uh, "I don't want to do this because my character is afraid," so I'm going to flat out lie about what's in that next room so that we bypass <laughs> it. If you guys all want to do it, you can say, oh, "But I want to go in there," but your character can't because if your character trusts mine. Right. Well, mine has just said he's not <laughs> yeah. in there. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always an interesting one. You know, who's making that decision? Is it the the character or the player? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, things like that can happen in video games where it's just like a situation where you know something is coming because you may have played it enough to where you know something is coming from something that happens way early on. Yeah. So you start yep. to expect it, and then you play like you're expecting it. And that's kind of the the closest comparison I can think of is when I'm explaining this to people, it's like, oh, 
when you know you're going to struggle with this boss, so you put enough points into this skill you wouldn't normally put effort into. Uh, yeah. I can give you a better example. Um, when I play Call of Duty Zombies and I need to complete a certain challenge, I will buy a certain weapon so that way I can complete the challenge very quickly. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that you, you wouldn't normally do otherwise. I mean, to... to... Regal, I know that um, I, I was listening to some of your episodes um, earlier, and I know um, talking about the, the Mr. Lobo stuff and some of your, your your horror side of things, it's it's very similar to a lot of the stuff you see in the horror films. And Eddie Izzard does sketches about it. You know, if you're if you're the main character in the horror film, yeah, and you go right instead of left, and suddenly the cellos kick in. <laughs> And suddenly that creepy music starts. It would just be, oh, yeah, I'm right. not going that way. And you'd go the other way. But you can't. It's, okay, I know that's oh, I know that's there, but I'm going to play as if I don't. Right. Um, so it it's interesting being in those scenarios where, uh, yeah, you have to play as if you don't know. But it's important. You, you have to do it. Yeah, agreed. Because otherwise the game the game starts to fall and apart. And I think that's where people who don't play, that's that's the difficulty for them to understand the game because you're basically an actor. You're acting. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. You're, you're absolutely you're acting. I, uh, I play an evil character in Pathfinder, so acting is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do something, Spencey shakes his head and goes, oh, you chaotic good characters. <laughs> oh my sweet child you have no idea what's going (laughs) the moral ambiguity to do whatever you want and still call yourself a good person right (laughs) hello this is rod barnett i'm the host of the bloody pit the podcast that examines films from across the decades on the bloody pit We have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts. Podserve.fm Podcast hosting has never been easier. 
They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And... When you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcast on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. So now, role-playing games, much like video games, they often will come out with a newer version, and I believe D&D is on the fifth version. Is is that right? Is that what you guys are all using right now? Fifth, fifth edition? Yeah, yes. that's correct. Okay. So what of, of the mechanics of this version versus the older versions that you've played um, do you like and dislike? Oh, that's a very tricky one. Um, most of my experience is with 5e, uh, with fifth okay. edition. So it's it's tricky to compare. I can speak to a little bit because um, Pathfinder, a lot of people consider it D&D 3.5 because it took all the third edition stuff that they loved mechanically, turned it into its own game, and uh, apparently people don't like fourth edition for a few reasons I don't know too well. But um, I've played Pathfinder. It's very different from D&D 5e because D&D 5e has things like advantage and disadvantage which essentially are dumbed down as statistically you're more likely to roll higher whereas in pathfinder it is all pluses and minuses to the point where a critical or a fumble is really just a plus 20 or a minus 20 when deciding if you Hmm. succeeded so that's an interesting one spency because one of the things i like in 5e is that advantage and disadvantage because as as the DM, you can use it to say, you know what, you've come up with a good idea, have advantage on this role, they've earned it. So without that mechanic, what do, is there anything you can do for that in Pathfinder? Well, I found that it's more of a numbers game. So they'll give you a plus one, plus two scenario rather than just giving you hold on advantage, which I mean is good because gotcha. you get a higher base number, so you're less likely to fail. But when yep. you have more dice to roll, you're just more likely to succeed also. Hmm. 
Yep, true. Different versions of the same thing, really, aren't they? Very interesting. And like it, it kind of almost negates the D20 system in some ways because you're still rolling a D20, yet sometimes the numbers can be pumped up really high. Apparently, yep. my coworker has a friend who is a stealth character, has a plus 50 to stealth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So even if he fumbles, if it's anyone with less than a 30 perception skill, it, it, it's, it, it's not going to work. So <laughs> things like that. Um, they also have uh, confirming fumbles and confirming criticals. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. No, I haven't heard no. of those. No, how does that work? So when you roll a one as a fumble, and that's a, that's a definitely an instant fail. But to see if it's one of those DM can take advantage of you scenarios, you have to confirm the fumble, which means you re-roll, but you have to also fail a second time. Right. Hmm. Fail or fumble again? Uh, you have to fail the roll. You have to fail the roll a second time, but the first time has to be a fumble. Okay. Yes. It can be a second fumble because a one is an instant fail. But let's say you roll a one and then a twenty, you still failed, but you didn't fail that bad. Gotcha. And vice versa with the the critical, you may not get those extra dice on your damage when you critical the attack, but you still got an instant success. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, huh. I I don't love it. I like to just take advantage of players. <laughs> and does anybody actually does anybody actually use encumbrance in the world? No. <laughs> oh no! It's it to, to bring it back to Spencer. You were, you're talking about Skyrim as being the one of the best things to compare to because it has those stats, etc. There's nothing more annoying in Skyrim, Dark Souls, anything like that than. You know, when that icon comes up saying that you're over-encumbered. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for putting this mechanic in. I guess I'll stop playing the game and go <laughs> run some chores instead, shall I? It's just, no, unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's something that you, you keep a track of if you say, okay, I'm going to carry eight bags of stones. <laughs> uh, okay, you can you can carry them. But you go in a half pace. If you say, "Oh, I've got my tent and my money and my sword and my," I, I don't care. Yeah, I don't right. want a full itinerary of what you're holding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think D and D is really awesome and superior to um, other D twenty games on the basis that it's just simple and really easy to use. Because Pathfinder is very complex. It has a multiple different kinds of armor classes, which is just how hard it is to hit you they have like five of those they have five different kinds of bonus you could get that all have different things you added six or seven things to your health it's a bit of an exaggeration but it's still it's a lot of a lot of numbers and a lot less as uh as forward as D D can be like yeah. the dm counts encumbrance he counts our coins oh oh, <laughs> oh my god he's a maniac he's a machiavellian nightmare <laughs> <laughs> I am okay with it because Pathfinder's mechanics work for that, and D and D's can. Like I'm, I am one of those people where if you're trying to like lug a certain item or a bag of items that's particularly heavy, and you're a weaker character, I'll say you're going to struggle. You're going to move slower, sure. Yeah. And things like armor, I will say, okay, you're not necessarily over encumbered, but you're just going to be slower. You're functional, not that functional. Whereas sometimes if you're over encumbered, it just becomes you just get so many problems that it's not worth it. <laughs> Everyone gets a bag of holding, and then you're good. Yep, regal. That's <laughs> the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. 
So now some games have used, um, and I kind of, I like to use it, but my players never do, something called a hit chart, which basically determines where in your body you get hit by something. I think more so maybe for Cthulhu, it works for like gunshots, but it could also work for, you know, arrow shots or even spears in D&D. Have, uh, Matt or Dan, have you guys ever used or considered using a hit chart in your in your adventures? I, I don't think a hit chart as such. The The main time I'd use things like that is if there is a fumble or a critical hit, then you might use it for the narrative behind, you know, if it's a critical hit, for example, which part of the body that do they hit and lop off? Or if it's a, a critical fail, if someone's loosing an arrow, you might get them to roll to decide where on the body it hits. Um, it it's an interesting one right. because okay. I, I'm playing a, a separate tabletop game called Kingdom of Death, which has that exact mechanic in it, where every time you roll, oh, you cool. roll to hit, then you roll to wound, and you do have those hit locations, so you can very quickly end up with um, a pulled Achilles tendon or, or that kind of stuff. With D&D, for me, that's, that's more of, a again, a narrative device to, to say to the guys, right you've rolled really well, where is it you're hitting them? Then, off the back of that, I'll uh, adapt to what the bad guy can then do. And furthermore, I think I think you can assume, for the most part, can't you, if I'm, if I'm attacking the ogre with a broadsword, I'm going to be aiming for central mass, maybe the head area. If I want to make it drop its weapon, if I want to take it off its feet, I'll say that. I'll say, you know, I'm going to aim for the leg yeah. in the hope that I can knock it off balance, take it out. But if you don't say anything, I think it's a fair assumption that you're going for a, a lethal part of the body. I, th- I think it's an interesting one because because it is so narratively driven and because it is role-playing, um, people can decide what they want to do. So rather than it being after the fact and it's, right, let's roll to see where you hit, it's more a case up front of... If they do want to hit something specific, they say that, and that might change the role. That might make the role more challenging. Um, you know, if if they say, right, I want to try and chop off his sword hand. Okay, fair enough. You're going to make the role, but I'm going to make it more difficult for you because you're not just trying to stab them in the chest. You're trying to hit a specific location. So I think for me, that hit chart is almost a a determiner before um, rather than a result after the fact. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I've had uh, a kind of a policy, mostly, is that um, when it comes to hitting an opponent, uh, you know, obviously, if they're looking to do something specific, I find that a lot of people get deterred, myself included, when you miss a lot. And I don't just mean failed rolls. I mean, the DM says, oh, your arrow went wide. Every arrow has gone wide. I've tried to make sure that the characters may not succeed and they may never do damage, but they always hit. I I, th- I think that's one of the... I like that. Well, I think that's one of the big things, isn't it? Because your armor class is based on what you're wearing and your dexterity. So, yes, they might dodge out the way, they might miss. But I think it is useful to say, you know, if you're attacking a beast or something, you bring your broadsword down and it bites into the kittenous armor and bounces away. So giving them that feeling of, oh, you know, it, it's not an Austin Powers film. You're not a, a James Bond bad guy where you can't shoot someone from a yard away. You are hitting them, but you're just not getting through. I think that's good. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, nobody really has stormtrooper aim. When you fumble, <laughs> the arrow goes wide and hits somebody. But realistically speaking, your characters are proficient with their swords. You're not you're not some newbie. Like I will say, okay, you miss wildly. If they're trying to use something that's completely out of their realm and they're just trying to bullshit me, I'm like, okay, you're funny. But you know, when they're just <laughs> But no. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's one of those Oh, I want to shoot it with my with my arrow that's 30 feet away, and I have a full range of 120 feet on this thing. You're going to aim at him if he's clearly seeing you. Sure, he can dodge, or it chinks it off right into his armor. But, I don't know, I don't like the idea that characters are always just not good at what they're trying to do. Yeah, because it, it's one <laughs> of the interesting parts that gets brushed over, even if you're a level one. You're a level one hero, adventurer, etc. You're still a cut above 90% of the population in these worlds. So, yes, when, when you're your hero who is an archer and has a backstory, they might not be legless, but they're sat there ready to go. And, yeah, from 20 feet away, he draws back his longbow and fires, and, oh, you've hit the, you've hit the roof. It, it It's much better with <laughs> it bounces off armour or... You know, the monster sees you drawing back and uh, serpentines and dodges out the way. You've got to give them some flavor for the misses as well as the attacks, as well as the hits, rather. Right, right. So, all right, in terms of, um, you know, talking game mechanics here, what do you guys think of the D20 system of D&D versus the way other systems do it? Dan, you go first. Um, I think D20 for me is, I mean, you, you mentioned in the intro, which, by the way, was fantastic. Um, I don't know about the listeners, oh, but I, I, I learned a lot in that. Um, I think the it, it isn't just, you know, D20 is the base, but like you've said, you know, you've got uh, D4, D6, D8, 10, 12, 20, 100. You can essentially have, and given now that you can run them all online, you can have any any permutation you want. So I think it's a good base for having that flexibility. Um, but also allowing that chance to in- influence the world. You've got things that your character will naturally be better at, but to I, th- I think Powell made the point earlier, you know, you-, you could be a fantastic swordsman, but you can still miss. You know, you you get you get goal kickers who who you know push it wide from a a point after attempt. So you know, it's it's you still have that element of chance in it. And I think the the D20 system works well for layering that on top of the narrative. Interesting. Uh, Matt? Um, I'm not really sure it matters what system you use. Uh, the reason for that, D&D is obviously geared for the vast majority D20, and that's what it uses. But every dice system is what you roll versus your target. Uh, whether or not you want to get higher or lower than your target is generally context relative. So it's always going to be, is value A greater than value B? And as long as that's the case, th- th- there are there are various quirks to each system, but it boils down to, did you roll your target or not? Where you're using uh, D6, the target's going to be considerably lower than when you're using D20, of course, right. Um, but it, it it always comes down to that same point, and uh, for, for my money, I don't think it matters too much. It's it it's 
dictated by what the game system needs at that point. I think that um, it, it. I think that's completely fair, dude. In terms of you know that, like you say, if you have a D twenty or a D ten. Uh, for the most part, take what you had on the D20, divide it by two, and you've got the exact same system. I think the only thing that you get with the D20 as the base is you get greater permutations. You do, you do. And that's about it, course, really, isn't it? The more the more um, mechanics a game wants to use, it can use more or less dice. Yeah. It can use die with, with, more, with uh, greater or fewer sides. So that does come into it. And that is important, don't get me wrong, that that matters. But I think as long as you're always rolling against a target, that's what you're boiling down to, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and when when you read through the, the Dungeon Master guides for things like this, that they break it down essentially into fives. You know, an easy roll is ten, moderate fifteen, hard, you have to beat twenty, very hard twenty-five. So you've for a lot of it you know that D twenty system is essentially a D four for the majority of your systems, for the majority of your right, checks. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's other D- systems within the D twenty system with D and D specifically. Like, if anyone's ever heard of sneak attack, um, <laughs> <laughs> a high, very high level rogue with sneak attack will start rolling upwards of ten, possibly you know higher than that, ten dice at once, and they're not even D twenty. Can we talk for a second about how unfair the sneak attack system is on every single enemy? <laughs> how how mis how much of a misnomer it is? You can be facing yes. the guy in the middle of combat that's been going on for five minutes, and provided you shout sneak attack, then for some reason you're a, a stealthy ninja and it's a, a stab in the back. It's yes. insane. If it's a Tuesday and you've got a sock on your left foot, it doesn't matter about your right. That's a sneak attack. Stab this man once, but now this stab, this this stab, it's going to kill him. <laughs> Doing the same thing ten times in a row, it's the last thing he'd expect. I, I also played, um, I didn't play it too heavily, but I touched on um, Vampire the Masquerade. I have the game book for it. That uses a D10 system, which isn't even very much similar to the D- Yes. D20 system because you add numbers on, from your character. You have your dexterity plus your your skill, your acrobatic skill per se. Let's say you have a total of plus seven. That means you roll seven D10s and then you have to reach a certain number to succeed. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's really weird. I don't love it. it that's, but... It's a different way to do it. That's interesting. Spence, describe to them the the when we played with um our friend Chris's uh, game there where he was game mastering it and our friend Tom was a uh, I forget what it was but he was a very stealthy character and he was rolling like ten or twenty ten sided dice yeah so he um he was a the rogue equivalent in this game they basically my uh, friend Chris basically just took the content of Werewolf the Apocalypse and applied it to a D twenty system which I'm trying to improve on right now i'm in the process of that and yeah uh (laughs) when tom's character would sneak attack somebody he would pick up upwards of 12 possibly 15 d6s it wouldn't roll it was just all in his hand in one massive amount of dice he would shake it in the air and then hold his arm on the table and roll them against his arm he counted he would have to like like Put them in like, okay, these are all the sixes. Okay, and then we're going to put this over here. 
all right, 40, 50. And it got to the point where the DM, Chris, was like, <laughs> hey, you stabbed him seven times. He's still alive if you want him to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So I, I like it. I think the D20 system works. I think that there are other systems that work for certain games because I do think Werewolf and Vampire, the D10 system for those games is very, very effective. I don't like it because it's a little too loose on the combat when, in my opinion, I'm playing a role-playing game to feel like a total badass. I'm not playing the game to discuss the moral quandaries of being a vampire in a city. Um, that's just me. <laughs> so I don't know. That's why I'm very much pro D20 system. The D100, I think, works for Cthulhu because you are human and all this stuff. Yeah. You're not, you're not as, as super powerful compared to everyone else when it comes to things. Right, I agree with that. So, Spence, why don't you elaborate on us a little bit further about um, your modifications to the werewolf game utilizing the D&D &D rules? Oh, this is a, a rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I took my friend Chris's um, ideas. I asked him for his uh, what he did and how he did it. And in Werewolf, it's very, very different because you're a, you're a shapeshifter, first of all, because you can transform into multiple different kinds of werewolf. And then you're also in modern society to an extent. And same with Vampire. And so trying to turn the whole combat system on its head has been a bit of a nightmare. The biggest thing I've found is that I have to just make my own system. I have to jury rig so many other ideas because I'm a little inspired with Pathfinder because I like the idea of giving them more and more numbers for consistency's sake. But I don't want to make it too hard on the D20 system. So I have to throw an advantage here and there. And I've come up with a whole new action economy instead of what I mean by that is how many actions you get per turn per character. Mm. Um, I've come up with a whole new system for that. I'm trying to come up with a, I'm trying to abandon the AC system, the armor class. I really don't love it. I think it's a little too stiff. Doesn't feel like as much of a sword fight. Feels more like a, like a, oh, this guy's coming to attack me. Do I have my armor in the right place? Here we go. Yep. Yeah, because it's the same number every time. Because the guy is never disadvantaged by taking a knee or, or, or spinning around. And it becomes harder to say, oh, he smartened up and hit you in the right spot. Because then he could just very well fail in the next roll. Yeah. So I, I, I have a, a new system in my head of um, a defense roll system. Where every time you're attacked, you respond with a d20 roll that has its own modifiers to it. And so it feels more like a sword fight. And you can... and it, I feel like that would in a way, become useful for players who get bored because it's not always fun when the Game Master has to run through six enemies who are all going to attack the same character who's just going to look at his AC, say, it's 17, and then seven different rolls go off. Whereas yeah. in this, a player who's at the back of the initiative line for who goes first may, may get a couple of defense rolls in because they're at the front line. Okay. So you're homebrewing an entire combat system. I'm homebrewing an entire game. <laughs> I mean, the, that, that, that takes a serious mind and, quite frankly, set of uh, plums to, to, to even <laughs> attempt something like that. So very best of luck to you. Appreciate that. Adam. Matt or Dan, have you, ever, um, have you ever tried making your own RPG game? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim the intellect, quite frankly. I've, I've, uh, I've. It's never even occurred to me that one could try. I've had my mind blown just there. Wow. 
Yeah, I had a friend when I was a kid. Um, he made an RPG based on the series of Dune novels. Yeah. Uh, you know, by Frank Herbert, long before the David Lynch movie came out. And um, another friend of mine, actually our friend Chris that we referred to, he made a game based on Highlander, which included stuff from the, the movie and TV show. Um, that was really fun. And I even had my own attempt, and we played it for a little while. I, I made a game uh, back in the 80s, and it was based on the, the science fiction TV series called V. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Oh. Yes. Yes. That yes, was yes, fun. Yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't make one now. I just don't have the time to do it, but... It's it's a serious investment, isn't it? I didn't think yeah. it would be as in, as invested as it is, especially because I want to change so many mechanics personally and add so many different details in. It's I I actually have to I actually gave my rules my rule sheet to Regard to to dumb all of the things down because it's getting too complicated. <laughs> I feel like such a pedestrian player now that I haven't tried to completely rewrite D and D. I cherry things all the time. But but Spence, you're doing that for we- Werewolf, right? You're not you're not gonna. For when you play D anD D, it's just going to be the D anD D rules. I already invented rules for a werewolf. Be playing a werewolf character in D anD D. Okay, this isn't fair. You've you've got us up against a ringer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I invented um, a rule set inspired by Werewolf the Apocalypse. It's way more simplified and very and very kind of offshoot, just another resource for the characters. But I think it keeps the fun of playing a werewolf. And same with a vampire. I, I have rules for that too for player characters who want to undertake that because the class system in um, D and D is very very flexible. You can play a monk who is a dragonborn, even though the stats don't really line up that way. Yes. So that's that's why I'm like, okay, cool. I can I have rules for that like on my notepad upstairs. So if a player character I know, I say, do you want to play a vampire? They have rules for it in the um, monster manual. For player characters who want to be vampires and werewolves, but I think it's really lackluster for obvious <laughs> reasons because their competition is vampires and werewolves. I, I get that as a role-playing game company, but I just wanted more from it because I thought it would be so cool. I think that that's one of the cool things as well about D&D and role-playing in general is that if you're playing, again, I'll always compare it back to console and PC games. Typically, if you're playing one of those, you've got a set of options to choose from. And if you wanted to play something else, then tough luck. Whereas within D&D um, and other RPGs of a similar nature, if you want to play something else, you might have to do a bit of legwork to make sure it's balanced and fits into the game. But there's nothing that says, no, you can't do that. You know, whatever you want to do, provided you put the thought around it to map it into the world, um, there's there's no limit on what you can do with it. Absolutely. Spence is out here playing Red Dead Redemption 2, writing in his own aeroplanes. <laughs> this is unbelievable. So, Matt and Dan, do you guys, are you sticklers for the rules or are you flexible? Or how, how do you play? Uh, I'd say we, we're quite flexible with it. Um, yeah. There, there, there's some things where, you know, it's it's got the core rules. So, if someone tries to do something, you know, let let's say um, one of our characters, uh, Westy, who plays the character Elphir, um, he's a bit fast and loose. He's a, a cheeky mage, so he'll often try and talk <laughs> his way through scenarios. In which case, it's you know nice and easy. You just say charisma check. Um, however, 
I, I try to follow the, the same as in cinema, the, the rule of cool. If something's cool enough, then the rules shouldn't stand in the way of it happening. So I always try to find if they want to do something, and if it's off the beaten path, it's a case of, okay, um, let's think about it. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Um, the rules for me... I don't think should be there to limit and impede how people play. Um, they should just be there as guidelines to help DMs like me to to make some of the decision making easier. I, I hopefully Pell would agree, but I, I try not to stand in the way of if people want to do something creative. I'd hate to be the one saying no, you can't do that because of subsections, etc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, in, in, in that situation, Danny will, for the most part, allow you to put a case forward. Um, and if you can say, realistically and within you know, the, the core tenets of the game, why you think this should be allowed, you'll, you've got a shot at it. Well, p- perfect example, that, that night on the wall, um, Westy's character, Elphir, wanted to tip a brazier of hot coals off the wall onto a bad guy um so i said yeah absolutely go for it we'll figure it out but um that would typically be a strength check to push it over um westy's mage and surprisingly not very strong at all says oh could it be a charisma check then it's a question of okay how you know tell me how you're going to convince this brazier to commit suicide for you <laughs> But he said, yeah, well, charisma check. There's other people on the wall, aren't there? Yes, there are. Okay, well, I'm going to talk them into helping. So like like Powell said there, you know, I'll always allow them to put forward a case. Sometimes it might be, no, you're dreaming. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Um, but ones like that, where there's a, a justification for it, and if it generally, if it's cool enough, then, yeah, it's a case of fine. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do it. Nice, nice. Spenty? I'm the same way with all that. If a player has a good idea, like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, this is totally fiction, <laughs> <laughs> decides to be a wandering circus so they can get into the, the house of the, the local noble. And, you know, perhaps I'm like, this is not going to work at all. And sure enough, they make all their roles that I shoot out for them and once again, that's my thing. I fall back on the core six stats uh, for anything. Yeah. I try and weave it into skills, but if they're just like, you know, they say something or other, I'm just, okay, that is a dexterity check. That is a charisma check. That is intelligence. I think I think that's what makes it uh, a, an easy system to adapt as the DM as well, because the, you have those six core abilities and the subsets of skills. So I think you're spot on. If there's a skill that matches it, fantastic. If not, it's quite easy to just in your head say, well, you're trying to do this. That would depend on how dexterous you are, dexterity check, and you're done. It just keeps it nice and easy applying their their actions to, to a, a, the laws of the world. Nice. Um, I have a question for you guys. Do you guys use anything outside of your adventures to your characters? Like, I know there's a downtime system in the book, which I may or may not have already modified to my own liking anyways. Um, <laughs> of course you have. I use... Um, I get bored and I use it for my my characters to let them kind of up their skills in a way because the only way you can up your skills is proficiency bonus, which I mean I have mixed feelings on. So um, do you guys use anything like that for your player characters outside of 
actual adventures? Um, at the moment, the the guys have been going for, um, believe it or not, I think we're on episode 10 or 11, which constitutes, it, with each one being an hour and a bit, it constitutes them just about finishing the first day, which I was staggered by. I thought it would be a two-hour session. Um, so we haven't had the downtime opportunity or investing in parts of the world. Um we are going to have a couple of mechanics, um, one of them being the ability to take artifacts or things they find in the world and to be able to repurpose them with um, an artificer who's at the base that they're at. So if they bring back interesting stuff, and again, it, it's kind of a, you know, they can bring whatever they want to this guy. He may turn around and say, okay, you're insane. I don't know why you've brought me that, but... Thank you, thank you for this uh, this this dear heart. I don't know what I'll do with it. Um, <laughs> but if they bring something cool, then we'll find a way to build it into equipment. We do have... Well, we are going to have a mechanic that is then going to play at a world level. So we have the different regions in the world, and what they do in the different regions will then impact at a, a global scale for the world they're playing in. Um, but that part I don't want to go too far into um, because I want it to be a surprise for Pal when it starts happening as well. So not so much the downtime, but yes, some of the mechanics, but driven off what they do in each of the adventures, kind of more consequential rather than, and here's stuff you can do while uh, while you're away from the adventure. So so we don't want to tell them how my, my orc character is going to invent the microchip, right? We don't want to reveal that. Whoa, 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 whoa. That'll cost you 5,000 downtime days. I give you three per session. Yeah, and that's what I do is I basically, every time they um, come to a point where they would have a day off between adventures or they need to wait for something, I just say, you gain this amount of days as a player to spend for your character and say, oh, I want to have spent 300 days learning a new language. That just means that in the past 300 days, you were learning that language instead of, instead of just having it be a random day that nothing happened. Yeah, I think I think that's um, that's a good thing to have. I think uh, at, at the moment we've, we've only really had a day of downtime, or well, a, a morning of downtime in terms of in the game. So... I like to use those for role play. So I, I say to them, right, we build out what the plan is. Here's the next part of your adventure. But now, um, Paul or no, I, I often just describe them as moments. So rather than put a, a limit of time on it, I say, right, you've got a moment here. Um, what do you want to fill it with? And it can be, you know, when when they each had those, Paul went and looked in on a, a, a warrior who was struggling to see if he could help them. Um, one of them went off to talk to jackals and one very shifty mage in the group went and ended up meeting with a, this, this head of an underworld organization. Um, so I like using those as uh, role play and character development parts for it. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of these games is they are role play games. Um If you weren't going to bother with this kind of thing, then surely you just take a boilerplate barbarian mage wizard whatever takes you fancy um run a dungeon crawl screw up the character sheet pick a new one do a new dungeon 
Um, this is how you. This is how you give your characters depth. This this is the role play element in its in its core, and I think downtime is massively important to that as a concept. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So now, um, one thing I wanted to mention too is that when I was a kid, the adults around me would be astounded that I'm reading these massive hardcover rule books with tiny print. You know, and I know from experience <laughs> with D and D and Call of Cthulhu, Spency and I both have a huge pile of, especially the new hardcover rule books there that are like hundreds of pages. Um, does anyone think that having to read all these books is a deterrent for the average person who might be interested in in trying to get into role playing? It's a textbook, of course it is. It it is a textbook. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I think if you're trying to pull somebody into the game, slamming a textbook or three in front of them and saying see you in two weeks when you know all of that verbatim is entirely <laughs> the wrong way to do it you can definitely pick up the game as you play it imagine handing someone a textbook and say okay the monopoly game is tomorrow night <laughs> <laughs> here are all the rules yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a huge barrier but by the time you're buying the books and by the time you're sitting down uh reading for an evening for for a weekend you're already in <laughs> yeah it's, it's too it's late, too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i don't read them cover to cover i skim through the sections to see what's important and what isn't and then if yeah. i have a question in my yeah. head i'm just like oh which rule book has it here i do but, that i jump around the books rather than just sit and read it but what you mentioned earlier spencer about looking for monsters um you I mean to to your point regal you have the um player's handbook which is if you're a player the basics you need to know the dungeon master's guide if you're the dm what you need to run and the monster manual which is just a list of monsters that that's your holy trinity but then on top of that there's all kinds of extra books that just give you here's some extra cool weird monsters and i picked up one not too long ago and you're just skimming through it, and you're doing what Spencey said. You're going, oh, it looks a bit dull. It's like, oh, far too freaky for this early, until you find one, <laughs> and then it's, okay, this is cool. And I, I I found one recently in it that was so cool that I rewrote part of the campaign just so I could use that monster in it, because you find stuff that's just, okay, that's that's really cool and bizarre. I never would have thought that up myself. To, uh, to give you another example of punch cuddles, I do love Danny, but I know that if I shadow buy all the books that he's getting and read all of his surprises <laughs> ahead of time, it will drive him up the wall. So that's that's, that's a pastime I enjoy. Yeah, I mean, back to the metagaming thing, I we faced so many goblins in the first adventure I ran with my, my girlfriend that her Pathfinder character knows goblins. <laughs> she, yeah. she designed her character for that and it has come in handy because goblins are a great go-to fantasy fantasy enemy but it's it's the standard trope isn't it whether it's tolkien or games yeah. workshop warhammer you know it's orcs and goblins there you bad goblins guys. at low level you build it to orcs and Those then you something demonic there you go nice nice yeah i i have a lot of the books with D&D, I have a little little shelf dedicated to all of my RPG. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one, Spencer. <laughs> it's it's getting there. Oh my god, Spencer's getting like he's hunched over now from carrying the backpack full of the giant books or something. <laughs> <laughs> the encumbrance is yeah, too much. That's why they have a shelf now. It's it's gotten to a point. I used to carry them all around because I only had three, possibly four. I 
right now I'm at a point where I have to just pick and choose which book I may or may not need uh, <laughs> later. So it's it's interesting. And I like also that um, – uh, hold on. Before I get into anything, do you guys do anything with Adventurer's League? Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know what that is. No, nor do I. Okay. Uh, how often do you guys go to game stores, hobby stores? Uh, at uh, the, prior to lockdown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Zero times in the past year. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, but here's my thing for D and D specifically, Wizards of the Coast. They um they run this thing called Adventures League, which basically means that anytime a store wants to officially run a D and D game, they can contact Wizards of the Coast, and then they have this like regional system set up where they have a contact in the store who, who talks to the regional person who transmits all the information that they kind of collect up to Wizards of the Coast. And this is mostly for important things, but I'll give you an example of an important thing. Of I was uh, a part of a game where my, my DM was like, we're going to have some fun. And so he put us on an airship, just like the one you're talking about, but it was nuclear powered, essentially. Magic, magic nuclear power. And we accidentally dismantled it. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That needs explanation. You can't accidentally dismantle a nuclear reactor. And essentially what happened was... We'll get to that. Hold on. Essentially what happened was when the nuke dropped into the middle of the city, it leveled the city and our characters died. Everyone's dead. So we're like, okay, that's fine. Well, it was like, I'll let you have a do-over in a bit, but we just need to acknowledge that. And we told that to the store clerk, and uh, I didn't know the DM very well at all. I did, he was just one of the store guys. Um, but we t- he told that to the clerk. He's like, wait, I think that's something I have to report. We're like, what do you mean? And he explains to us that essentially what happens is in D&D, if something big enough happens, they will adapt that to the lore of the game itself, like an MMO. Oh, please tell me it's it's like spotting a star or an asteroid is, is there a spencey's law out there somewhere <laughs> nuclear airships we call it the cover-up story because they <laughs> in one of the later books i can't remember which one the city was like destroyed by some natural phenomenon now we it, i went back to the store and i asked him i'm like wait this is the city did this happen because he goes yes it did you know the truth wow <laughs> wow that's cool that's fantastic it doesn't happen often, but Adventures League is their, their way of creating this MMO system for a tabletop RPG. That's so cool. That, yeah, that's really it's like cool. W- world continuity. Players get together and they're like, "Oh, we just did this mission together," you know, at, at a different time. Whereas, like, in, even in a, a regular MMO RPG, you may have done the same mission, just not with the same people. Yes, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Oh, they're all the same, you know, they, they come together with continuity, but it's just the details are at the end up to your character's experience. <laughs> very, very fun. And they do it from, like, levels 1 to 5, and then 5 to 10 is really how they do it. I like that. I've never never naturally leveled a character to level 20. I'd like to. Uh, that's 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 the dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But So they do stuff like that. I was just curious if you guys had ever experienced anything about adventures lead. I think it's a lot of fun. But they have rules. You have to pick certain races and you're limited not in classes but with races. You can't really play too many evil characters. There's a lot a lot of um standardization, which I think is fair. 
I think it's a necessity, isn't it? If you if you're going to do something like that, you have to wrap some structure around it, don't you? Right to maintain order. Otherwise, there's going to be yeah, there'll be mini kingdoms and fiefdoms springing up everywhere. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So, what do you guys think? Um, in this age of uh, sheltering in place and social distancing, how has that affected or changed things for role playing games? I think it's there's been a massive bloom. I think people have become um, more willing to try things that they haven't in the past or, as as you were saying earlier, suddenly have more time on their hands to try things that they've always wanted to do. And this this is on a, one or both of those lists for a lot of people. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think um, I'd, I'd link it back to, uh, again, in the, the episode you did with uh, Mr Lobo, which was um which was awesome listening by the way um you you talked through this scenario where you had these different groups of people in different states watching different shows with different horror hosts yet somehow it was building that joint community around it right um and i think you see a similar thing at the moment both with rpg but with podcasts in particular we're we're in a position now where you can't go meet up with your friends, you know you can't um, you can't nip out and have a drink or go see a film or go for a meal. All all of that is suddenly taken away. So we're all now looking for ways to to keep that community feeling going. Um, whether it's doing it via you know Zoom conferences with your friends or I think Powell is spot on. I think off the back of it, there's a, a surge in both podcasts and um, RPG games where it, it keeps that community feeling going. Um, so it it's it's interesting for me because we, we have a slightly different experience with it in that because I moved away from um, our city originally, we we kept in touch and said yes, traitor. I apologise. I, I went to the dark side. I went north of the wall to Scotland. Um, we we played games almost religiously every Wednesday, so we always had that element that kept us together. And I think that's now becoming more prevalent as societies are forced to socially distance. People are now adapting the these new experiences that can still keep us close through what is you know this is the the most separated i think countries have been since the second world war but there's no there's no thing the world suddenly expanded where it's been shrinking for decades hasn't it yeah but but it's an interesting one because with world war ii there was this there was an enemy to fight you know it was it, it unified the rest of the world against this evil Whereas with this, it's just a case of there's you know there's something there, and it's destroying society. So I think you, you off the back of that, you are seeing a lot more people playing these games and having these experiences that that otherwise never would have considered it in well what was normal life. Right. So got a um a big rise for not just uh, tabletop RPGs but virtual tabletops. Yes. Um, roll roll twenty. I was called a D twenty. Roll twenty and D and D Beyond. Those two are probably growing exponentially. I mean, I use a um, roll twenty for Pathfinder. I don't ever meet with my group. 
exactly what we do. We use uh, we use Roll Twenty for all of the game, the visuals, the rolls, um, everything. And that's a website. Though I will say, I I would rather we didn't. <laughs> yeah, you'd rather be in person. I, 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 yeah, I like I like physical dice rolls. I like uh, I like doing the maths in my head. I, I like seeing. I, I, for me, it's it's a it's a better experience in person. That said, we can't do it right now. Uh, and when we are able to do it again, you know, three of us have children. We've we've got work to contend with. We've all got busy lives, and it's it might not happen at all were it not for these websites. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will say I, I, that. Sorry, sorry, um, Spencer. Go ahead. I was just uh, gonna say that some games are are a little better at the virtual table tabletop, specifically Pathfinder. Me and my girlfriend both agree that Pathfinder is so complicated that the fact that you can actually have all the numbers added up in one place is actually easier, whereas D&D is a lot more simplified, straightforward, which I like, and I do prefer it um, in real life, but the virtual aspect of the dice is very helpful when it comes to a very complicated game like that. Hmm. I think there there are pros and cons to it. I think um, what I mentioned for when we had that session when uh, my fiance Lou joined me... Um, it made it much easier. I think. I think it removes that complex barrier to entry. That it can be somewhat ominous when you were talking, Regal, about you know these these textbooks, these tomes to work everything out, and you have to roll and then figure out this number based on another number, etc. Right. Um, with something like Roll Twenty, which to your question earlier, yep, it's it's a website. Okay. All of you log in and sit on that website. You can chat in it. You can, but if you need to make a, a role, it has a digital version of your character sheet, and you simply click on the name of what you want to roll, and it does all the maths in the background, gives you the result, and away you go. I think I'd agree with you, pal, completely. I'd love to play in person. I think it would be having that face-to-face interaction of well as well when uh, when the story is evolving would be phenomenal but things like roll 20 D D beyond um they they do a great job of enabling everyone to experience it when you can't do it the traditional way right right and we're very fortunate that we are at a point where we have the technology that can do that i mean if this happened in the 1970s it would be a very different world you know yeah i mean it's an interesting as one as well because when when you go back to you know some of the very early days of gaming they they essentially ran multiplayer games on what were online bulletin boards where you would post your move in a game to a bulletin board there there were ones where they would re- run a, um online games of doom that way um so yeah fantastic that we've now got that concept but brought up to a way that it's actually usable and nice and easy. Greetings, this is Mr. Lobo. Are you a sinsomniac? Do you stay up late and watch what normal people call bad movies till dawn? Black and white low-budget potboilers, box office bombs, West German talking car movies, rock bands versus monster movies, broken down school films, midget zombie and midget spy flicks, guys in gorilla suit movies, even old TV commercials, inappropriate cartoons, drive-in snack bar ads, and worse? Well, we like to say they're not bad movies just misunderstood stay up late with miss mittens your host mr lobo 
and a revolving door of special guests, fellow horror movie hosts, robot monsters, and lovely Real 7 girls for a late-night TV slumber party that we call Cinema Insomnia. You can watch us on Channel OSI 74 for Roku. We even have some episodes on Amazon and Alpha Video DVD. You may never get a good night's sleep again. For a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Well, I got to tell you, you made me think of, um, God, I'm going to really age myself here. <laughs> I used to play... Spence, Spence, he's already done it for all of us okay. when, when he was well. mentioning he's 90. <laughs> At one point yeah, he mentioned, yeah. At one point you mentioned Spency, thirty-five years of experience. Oh, what could you possibly imagine? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I used to play. <laughs> I used to play what was called a play-by-mail game before the message boards, before the internet. We used snail mail, and it would. It was basically, you know, you had the the game master it was called Atlantrix, and. Uh, it was done through the postal service, and so the the GM would send out the parameters of the story and set up, and you'd create your character and mail it back to him. Then in the mail, you know, a week or two later, you'd receive the setup and what the other players have done, and then you write back what your character does. And I think you had multiple things that you could do, so it would cover a, a longer span of time within the game world. But then you'd mail it back. Yeah, you would need to. And then the game master would collate all those and then eventually he would mail back the results and it just went on like that <laughs> but it was fun <laughs> I, th- I think that's it it's kind of the the core tenant behind this is no matter what the scenario we'll always try and find a way to to have that social interaction and have that fun it's just it it's good now that we're in a position where you know, there, there's enablers for all of this. We've got these online systems that allow you to just play the games, like we're doing now, yeah. Um, with Discord, where we can just hop on and the four of us jump into a conversation, and suddenly we're up and running. Yeah. You know, if you go back ten years ago, could you imagine trying to do this? It'd be a nightmare. Oh yeah. Um, just the bandwidth so, yeah. alone. And you, oh, it would, it would, it would murder it. Um, yeah. So the fact you can do that, the fact that you can share your webcam, so you can still see each other. Um, I think you, you're spot on. It's fantastic to have those enablers there. Yeah. So we're going to start wrapping this up soon. Um, I want to. One of my last questions, not the, not the very last one, but one of my second to last question is, uh, we'll go around the the group here. The question is, what is the best role playing game that you've ever played, and is there one that you haven't played that you would like to? Matt, you go first. 
Um, I'm going to say the best for me is D and D. It's it's the one. It's the one people think of for a reason. I think it's the biggest. I think it's the best. Um, and I mean, I, I say that without having tried too many of the others. So perhaps there is a certain level of naivety sneaking in there. But I, I love it. I think it's an incredible game system. Um, and as for one that I would very much like to try is the Apocalypse system. Um, it's it's a lot a lot lot more simple. It's basically the entire thing is built around telling a story, not around rolling dice. Um, and telling a story is the reason I play D and D. It's I think it's incredible. I think it's it, it's so much fun to create a narrative with friends, but without any of you having actual control over Interesting. it. Interesting. Uh, so those those are my answers. Dan, um, I I think if you'd asked me. Um, a couple of years ago, I'd, I'd be going back to the Final Fantasy RPGs because that they were sort of my entry level games that just really immersed me and made me think, "Wow, you know, video gaming is a different thing. This is what my life's going to be." Um, however, I'm gonna I'm gonna parrot um, Powell here. Um, it's D and D. Um, I I I love those old school Final Fantasy games, and they'll always be a big part of who I am now. Um, but the experience I've had playing D and D, building this world with you know my three friends, um, has been you know one of the best in my life. The fa- the fact we're then making a podcast out of it, and you know other people seem to enjoy listening to our um, you know pure idiocy, is <laughs> a wonderful thing as well. Um, but the game itself has just been phenomenal for me. Um, in terms of the game I want to try, um, I, I think there's only one possible answer, which is the uh, the upcoming um, Spency rebuild of, uh, of Were- <laughs> Werewolf Adventure. I think uh, it, that, that's got to be top of my list now. The Spency of the States. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spency, boy. what's yours? Um... <sighs> I got into RPGs. Um, the, my first RPG that I can remember was Fallout 3. That's the oldest one that comes to mind for just all over overarching RPGs. Uh, tabletop. I think actually my first was that D20 amalgamation of Werewolf um, <laughs> that my friend set up. But I'm going to stick with just D&D because I love, I love world building and I love storytelling but I really love character building. Yeah. yeah. So many fun ideas. I think building characters is one of my favorite pastimes because just thinking of where the character could, could go and then using that in game is super fun. I have an idea for a pacifist barbarian. (laughs) (laughs) And I really want to just see how some of this stuff goes. So I got to say D and D is my favorite and a game I do want to play is um, werewolf, the apocalypse, fifth edition coming out 2021 nice (laughs) not only is that going to be a fun game it's going to be an excellent guideline for what i want to possibly add change or fix about my little uh frankenstein i've got going on (laughs) so yeah that's that's where i'll leave that excellent excellent i'd have to say for me i call of cthulhu is my favorite um as because i've invested just so much time and energy into it and played it for so long um, and and I just love the horror aspect of it. I'm just a huge horror nut. 
as yeah. to games that I, I haven't played but would like to, I have these Star Wars, the Star Wars role-playing game that's like a series of hardcover books that I got, God, like 20 or 30 years ago, long before the prequel tr- trilogy came out. And I just could never put together a group to play that game, and I've always wanted to play it. So, you know, there's probably an updated version out there now that I, I don't know about, but that someday I may get to that one. Because I didn't, after the prequels, I was kind of soured on Star Wars, and now because of The Mandalorian, yeah. I love it again. So, <laughs> I, I think that's it's it's a bit of a sidebar but i think it's inevitable if we're having a a, a podcast talking about D D that star wars i think legally has to be mentioned um <laughs> I, I i think you've summed up pretty much everyone's experience with star wars now the yeah. original trilogy were so revolutionary and original the prequels uh lightsaber dance battles um the the sequels since yeah not bad but it's the films that are set in the star wars world but not star wars for me rogue one i thought was brilliant yeah and the mandalorian uh yeah i I think it's it yeah that that's phenomenal for me yeah absolutely absolutely okay so oh oh, wait um, go ahead spence i was gonna say that they have games like the marvel and dc universe games too that you can play as different characters when i was a lot younger i invented a character called guitar Hero. that's right <laughs> that's right he was gonna be my character uh with his i don't know i think it was like a psychic guitar that was gonna, he was an intelligent gonna guitar with and... <laughs> yeah. i love the dc uh, game so i like go ahead i was just gonna say that's on my list now of things i want to remind me that i would love to play that yeah See, I had the Marvel game, and that was put up by TSR, and that was just horrible. But the DC game was really well done. It was very well thought out, and you you basically had this big chart, and your character had these attributes, and your attribute opposed you know, your enemy's attribute, and you just looked at the chart and cross-referenced to where it is, and that was the role you needed to make. And it was just really enjoyable. In fact, we even adapted all the Marvel characters over to DC to be able to play the game. <laughs> So I mean, that, it, it's interesting because that sounds quite similar to Spencer when when you're talking about the the contested roles instead of armor class as well. Yeah, that's oh, what I yeah. want to do. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so to wrap up, I've got one last question for everybody, and again, we'll go around the room or around the the group here. Uh, if if someone out there wants to get into role playing games, where do you recommend they should start? Dan, you go. I think you know what the answer is going to be for this, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, obviously, first and foremost, I'd, I'd recommend the uh, the fantastic and critically acclaimed Lines of Legend podcast. There you go. Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, the way I got into it is I I did listen to a podcast. Um, I listened to a very well known one called The Adventure Zone, um, and it kind of grew from there in terms of getting into it there's plenty of groups online you know looking for group where you can go out and find other people who are looking to get games together Um, and you'll have plenty of dms who want to run games but may not have the group available to take part in them Um, so thankfully again social media is so prevalent now if you jump on facebook instagram any of these and you just search for you know dungeons and dragons looking for group 
you'll find a plethora of different groups where where they invite people to come join and just play the game nice matt yeah i would agree um if the 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 ideal solution will always be a group of people that you know um for me that that it's much better to play with people that you know and people that you're comfortable with than strangers if failing that i would suggest possibly one of the uh the game shops that we were discussing earlier uh simply because there's going to be people in those there's going to be um events in those and as a kicking off point if you go and watch if you go and join in the odd one or two you can decide whether or not you've got a real taste for it and then yeah the the internet there's plenty of websites out there plenty of forums and groups looking for new members and really there's 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 too many places you can go and play um just quickly as well if if we can edit my answer so that i say i think and then if you can just put all of powell's answer in where i was going to speak because i think he said it much better there um and yeah the 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 friends first i think is a a fantastic point it makes you feel comfortable and relax you think that's bad i'm up next (laughs) (laughs) i mean i was just gonna say that all the answers have been covered internet game shops this amazing podcast both of them actually i think ben is now and lions of legend pretty great uh, but I was also just going to say that if you're going to get started on it, I would say get used to the idea of of playing a character that may or may not be similar to you is really how I would phrase it and start thinking up things like that. Like I said, a, a pacifist barbarian is just it's just a very, very it's the Hulk. You know, don't make me angry. Please don't make me angry. You don't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> so I think that's the way I would want to play the game and get and that's how i get people into it is how would i ask them how do you want to play if you were to play any character where would you want to go would you want to be stealth would you want to be a heavy hitter uh, a nukem from orbit a healer you know a defensive anything like that so i would i would think about how you play games and then go from there with playing the game Right, right. Awesome. All great answers. You know, I I wouldn't recommend necessarily running out and buying the Dungeon Master's Guide or the Player's Manual if you don't know anything about the game. You know, like you like you guys said, you know, get involved in ones that's already going on and just get your feet wet and figure it out. And then you'll it, then it'll naturally flow that you're going to want the book, because if you just buy the book out of the blue, having no idea about the game, you're not going to know what to do with it. <laughs> I think that's a testament as well for how fun I think D&D is because, you know, there's lots of things where you have to buy the material in order to get into it. But D&D for me has has been such a fun experience that I got into it and then went out and bought, you know, half a dozen different books off the back of it. So I think that's a really good point as well. Well, thank you. There's also tons of free adventures um, online. It's free, almost everything, but um, the player's handbook and all the other books are translated into PDFs that are sold in places like D&D Beyond, which are is actually sanctioned by Wizards of the Coast. So, you know, you're not, it's not like bootlegging at all. Yeah. And, uh, no, you, d- you don't need to spend any money to, to just sample it. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they give you options on like, building a very simple character for free you know just to kind of get used to it and learn the terminology so i mean there's always resources right 
Right. That's awesome. Plus, so the subreddits have every single topic covered. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so Matt and Dan, where can our listeners find you guys online? Easiest place to find us online. Nice and straightforward. We're at um, lionsoflegend.com. Um, we use that same name on pretty much all the different social media platforms. So we're active on Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, wherever you are and search for Lions of Legend, you'll find us. And then in terms of the podcast episodes themselves, um, essentially any good podcast platform. So we're on Spotify, iTunes, um, we're on Amazon, pretty much anything you can imagine, Google, um, open up your podcast app, search for Lions of Legend, find us and enjoy. Excellent. Excellent. And Spency? Yeah, I'm on YouTube, Spency Dompies. I play games. <laughs> That's <all> I do. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed it. Had a great time talking about role-playing games and I hope you'll come back and do another show with us in the future. I'd be more than happy to. Thank you for the invite. Yep, just quickly, um, thank you very much for having us. Um, this is the, the first um, kind of cross-promotion guest uh, spot we've done on the, the podcast. Um, and just for myself and Pal, um, thank you very much. Been really fun to do it. And uh, Sincerely. yeah, fingers crossed, we'll be, uh, we'll be back further down the line. Sweet. Excellent, excellent. You're quite welcome. It was a great pleasure having you guys on the show today. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Then Is Now Podcast, and hopefully you learned something about role-playing games, and specifically Dungeons & Dragons. Be sure to check out Matt and Dan's podcast, Lions of Legend, and listen to the fun adventures they create in D&D. If you'd like to send us your thoughts on this or any other episode of Then Is Now, you can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. We've also got a brand new Facebook group where you can really have fun conversing about the things we discuss here on the show. So just look up Then Is Now Podcast in the Facebook group section. Then Is Now is also on YouTube. So go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe. Also, please share the link with your friends and ask them to subscribe as well. Our podcast and other fun stuff can also be found at our website, havenpodcasts.com and then is now is on all of the major podcasting apps so if you like our show please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave a great review so others can find the shows try to get involved in a role-playing game and see if you like it class dismissed
TSR Hobbies, Dungeons and Dragons games, products of your imagination. 